does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. We got a big one lined up today, guys, and as Jimmy Cook mentioned, you can definitely tell that All-Star Weekend, it it felt kind of like a slow entry. I realize it's not the weekend yet, but I will admit to the fact that for the last few days, I was kind of like, man, I don't know that you would know it's going on. And then today, that seemed to change. All of a sudden, I got behind like a moving billboard and LED stuff and... Uh, there's definitely an energy with All-Star Weekend upon us. Yeah, I can usually time, I live up north in Carmel, and I can usually time my journey to get downtown to the studio, and usually it's roughly 30 minutes, it's about 35, 37 today, because a lot of congestion early as stuff starts to happen and occur, and more, as you mentioned, mobile billboards and other pop-ups come around the city of Indianapolis, which I will more than willingly take those type of issues, because it's great to have this event in the city, like I'm, I'm very proud of Indianapolis. I love this city. I love the people in it, but it has a different vibe on the regular than other cities in the world. And this isn't a bad thing, but if you were walking around the streets of downtown right now, just downtown, you weren't like zooming out a thousand feet and seeing that, oh, this isn't a city as big as Chicago or as New York, but all of a sudden you have all these billboards like it is a mecca massive city that you want to be a part of. And to be clear, we know that because we're locally here, but you see just big billboards of Devin Booker trying to put out his new shoes and Benedict Matherin for All-Star Weekend and Tyrese, we saw the first of all of this on the JW, which, by the way, the further you are away from the city when you're on, like, the loop, that's a beautiful billboard. Like, the, the with the yeah. QR code, him shooting, all of it. Like, it's awesome. There's just a buzz here. I hope here. nobody gets in an accident by trying to get a scan of the QR code. Yeah, I hope, code. hope not as well. I've had that same thought. But but anyway, if you're driving around downtown, or if you're coming into the city, just know that from a traffic standpoint, it's not going to get better. Give yourself a little extra time. Uh, there are a lot of things to talk about today. And as a matter of fact, we're going to kind of mix everything that takes place, not only this weekend, but what has taken place in the world of sports heading into it. Last night, big win for the Pacers on the road in Toronto. Just to go into the break, I thought it was good the way that, you know, a couple of things that happened in that game. A lot will be made about the fact that Pascal Siakam hit tough shots down the stretch, which you love to see. And, you know, it was his homecoming, and you're coming into now the break. Benedict Matherin not out there because of the, whether it be the virus that he had, virus is the wrong word, you know, illness that he's had or the leg injury and no that was not a Freudian slip I do not know what his injury is I just know that a bug has been going around with the team Um, but I thought the story last night quite frankly was the play of Ben Shepard I I just thought that was kind of the Ben Shepard game he hit two big threes it's his first time in double figures as a pacer but he also especially down the stretch and to seal the game his defense, which is the reason that a big part of why the Pacers selected Ben Shepard was not only his maturity as a four-year college player, but just his defense in general. And I thought he was great last night. That's the quickest avenue to playing time for him. If he is able to continue to be the defender that they envisioned him being, plus his offensive output, if that's right around 
if you ever get to a point where Ben Shepard's averaging nine or ten a game, you're going to feel good about where things are from a rotation standpoint. You could maybe point to him as being the piece off the bench that is getting a fair amount of the minutes that were left abandoned after the Buddy Heald trade. On top of that, Jake, it might be a technicality, but ignore the technicality that they have played one more game than their opponents. Eddie pointed it out when he walked in the studio. I got in the archives. I pulled out a throwback shirt. We got the gold don't quit for the radio audience. The YouTube chat can see it with the playoffs on the back. Because if the season ended today, the Pacers would not be a play-in team. They would be a playoff team. And that is the position they put themselves in going into the All-Star break. And that should undoubtedly be their goal for the final couple months of the season once we are done celebrating this great city over the course of the next couple days. Uh, big show lined up today. Rick Smith's going to join us coming up in just about. What time uh, did you say that we're supposed to call Rick? We will be calling him in 20 minutes. Okay, so Rick Smith will join the program. Uh, I believe he's coming into town for the All-Star game. Of course, he an All-Star. Tony East will join us to talk about the Pacers. Tamika Catchings at 2.30. Maybe we can ask her about Caitlin Clark and Caitlin Mania. Um, and Connor Daly, who's going to be in the Celebrity All-Star game, is going to join us at 2 o'clock today. So... Uh, plenty to get to over the course of today. And I should also let people know this. So we had on this program, I had a definitive design or or agenda, whatever you want to goal, probably the best word, goal, moving into the latter part of the week to kind of shift towards the all-star game coming here. And again, localizing the story. You know, the NBA All-Star Game is a huge event. It is a cultural event. It is a civic event. It is a sports event. It ties everything into one huge party and celebration. And it's fabulous for the city of Indianapolis. And if you walk around, as I did yesterday, I went around Monument Circle. They've already got the big sign up where you can come out and take a picture. They've got it roped off now, so there's not traffic coming around. And then the storefront windows, Jimmy had mentioned, you know, seeing a couple of them already starting to to come into form. Uh, Windsor Jewelry, that is Windsor Jewelry, I should say, which is right around the corner from us. The Tussauds Watch Company was was putting in their cube, in their window cube, like 100 basketballs with Tussauds on it because they have a contract with Damian Lillard, for example. And they're putting in like a, I don't know if it's a hologram of Damian Lillard, but a huge electronic sign of Damian Lillard showing his latest model of watch and that's right off of the circle you're going to start to see those things around town featuring Luca and different players on building sides and facades and whatever else and Tyrese Halliburton obviously being a starter gives you the local flavor but with that this is an international event even more so than And I know the Super Bowl is massive, but I don't know that the Super Bowl has the international eyeballs that the NBA All-Star Game does, crazy as that sounds. And so the goal becomes, the objective becomes for our listening audience, from my standpoint, try to do as much local conversation that people can relate to that is the gateway for them to the NBA All-Star Game. That's why yesterday I wanted to have on Ralph Sampson. Because he was the MVP the last time it was played here. The only time it was played here. Uh, Tomorrow, we're going to have on Fred Jones. Because he's the only Pacer representative to win the dunk contest. You've had Pacers in the dunk contest. 
Jonathan Bender was in it. Paul George was in it. I think Oladipo was in it. Terrence Stansberry was in it. I, you know, there are Glenn Robinson Jr. I think was in it, or the third. I mean, Glenn Robinson the third. So there have been several players that have partaken in different events. But I thought Fred Jones would be fun to have on, just to relive his dunk contest victory, and you know the nerves that go into it, whatever else. That's why I wanted to have Rick Smiths today because he was an All Star. And he's going to join us. We're going to dial him up here just about 15 minutes from now. And then tomorrow, and this is a little peek behind the curtain, this does not happen often. I will readily admit to you folks, this does not happen often. I would say that, especially when you consider the morning show, um, but I would say that roughly 90 to 95% of all interviews that you hear on this radio show are live. Not because... You know, there's any problem with doing things on tape, but obviously, when you do 12 to 3, that's the most advantageous time to get a hold of people. So there's not enough reason for us really to record things in advance, you know, like the day of. And usually you record them like a day before, right? Now, we don't do that very often because most people can fall into our window. You know, you've heard John mention every once in a while if he is doing like a thing with Matt Payne or whatever, he'll say, like, hey, I actually taped that before their practice today or something like that. We actually taped, just got done taping, an interview for tomorrow. And I've done, I don't know how many interviews I've done in my career between radio and television, hundreds. And every once in a while during the course of an interview, I remember interviewing the doctor that was in the emergency room, one of the three doctors that tended to John Kennedy on November 22nd of 1963 and I had a friend that had done residency at Parkland Memorial and on the 50th anniversary so in 2013 he knew Dr. Robert McClellan and I'm like dude is there any way that you think he would do an interview and he ended up setting it up for me where um, they basically said you got you know 20 minutes to talk to him and I went in and as I was talking to Dr. McClellan and the things that he was saying to me the honesty and the detail and the images that he was describing and being in the emergency room trying to save John Kennedy, President Kennedy, I remember thinking to myself, please tell me this is recording. I can't believe this man is saying is saying these things. Not, not because they were insipid, just because it was so incredibly historic and, you know, detailed. And that doesn't happen often. I've talked to people that, that do interviews before, and I'm like, hey, let me ask you a question. Do you ever do an interview where... The whole time that it's happening, you're like, I can't believe how good this is. And then you go back and listen to it, and maybe sometimes it isn't as good as you thought. Like once the dust settles, and they're like, totally. And so we did an interview, just finished one, that's going to run tomorrow, almost exactly 24 hours from now. 24 hours and 48 minutes from now. Actually, 27 hours and 48 minutes from now. 1 o'clock tomorrow, 28 hours and 48 minutes. You get what I'm saying. 1 o'clock tomorrow, we're going to run this interview. Jermaine O'Neal was a great player for the Pacers. He was a six-time All-Star. He started the All-Star game. And he came in as a young guy who was still wet behind the ears when he came from Portland and got his opportunity at Indiana and became a star and was kind of the face of the franchise in a transformation of the franchise before our very eyes. We had gone from the Reggie Miller era of the Pacers into shifting it without a complete drop of the floor. 
it was pretty impressive and amazing in the early 2000s how the Pacers transitioned from one era to the next fairly seamlessly. And while we were still, as a city and as a fan base, dealing with or navigating through life without Reggie Miller, here comes this on a white horse, this new shining star as the savior of Jermaine O'Neal. And people loved it. And there was so much, you know, a 20 rebound game. And, I, you know, there were so many things that people loved. And then the injury started to creep up. The, the brawl happened. And I think there was a fracture between the Pacers fan base and Jermaine O'Neal. And I think the healing process has begun. But I think for, for Jermaine O'Neal, people would be surprised to know his level of hurt over the feeling that he let this city down. And I think people would be surprised to know that in an era where professional athletes just go from one city to the next to the next and oftentimes just consider it a change of zip code, for Jermaine O'Neal, this truly was a place where he wanted and envisioned at all times that he wanted to be a rooted figure where he loved this city and just wanted to be loved back. And when we talked to him and interviewed him and he was talking to us about things like that, and about the difficulties of his upbringing and the necessity within the franchise of giving him stability he'd never had and the areas where he had regret and the areas where he felt slighted and the areas where he had things in design. It was one of the most amazingly raw and honest interviews that I've ever done, and I've done a lot of them. And I went back and listened, as soon as we got done with it, I went back and listened to it one more time to make sure that I wasn't in the moment embellishing the sincerity and the genuine nature of what he was saying, and I was not. And I'm really looking forward to people hearing it tomorrow at 1 o'clock tomorrow with Jermaine O'Neal because I thought it was incredibly candid, it was incredibly in-depth, and I just think that it was that he welcomed the opportunity to kind of open the floodgates, Jimmy, on emotions and feelings and sentiments that quite frankly, I don't know. I don't know how many times he said to us, guys, I don't know if I've ever said this before. Guys, I don't know if you've ever heard this before. Guys, I've never told anybody this. He must have said each of those like four different times. And after the fact, and this is not common, I don't pretend, nor have I ever pretended, that by being a radio host that that means that we're like going out to the clubs with players. I mean, maybe when I was a younger guy. But but Jermaine O'Neal, after the fact, said to me, I want to thank you because that was my opportunity to say my truth. And I don't know how it came to be that he chose our forum to basically do that, maybe because it was to the people of Indianapolis having nothing to do with us. But, Jimmy, I thought it was fabulous, and I look forward to people hearing it tomorrow. Jake, I know that we kid you or joke with you sometimes, bumping up your ego, but I'm very glad that you're here today and here for that interview because you've been doing this for so long that that type of testament carries weight. For example... I'm young in the game, right? Like I understand that. I, I you you have you have many more years of experience on me. But yeah, I gray walk- hair, yep, <laughs> and gray hair. But I've walked away from that conversation, even in the hours that have followed since we taped with that, the same way you did, where it was one of the most powerful, honest, open, transparent conversations I've ever had in this medium, and for it to come from a player that a lot of people in my age group 
were just massive fans and viewed Jermaine O'Neal as this beloved figure at a time of a true height of Pacers basketball in the 2000s, coming off the run of the NBA Finals, and then he arrives as a bunch of legends like Dale Davis, like Rick Smitzer, headed out the door with uncertainty of what this unproven commodity is going to be, and then he turns into a franchise player for this organization, and how many people have just great memories of watching him play. To get the opportunity to talk with him and share a story that, as you mentioned, in some aspects he had not shared before, was just incredibly enlightening, was incredibly humbling to be able to get to do this every day. And if you're a Pacers fan or just a fan in general of people, you're going to want to tune in tomorrow for our two-part conversation with Jermaine O'Neal. Yeah, it was um, it was definitely enlightening. Best way to say it, right? Um, also, I wanted to point out or, or, or simply mention um, – and I get it. I mean, people tune in to talk to sport, you know, listen to sports talk radio to get away from the realities and the 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 doldrums of everyday life. I get that. Um, it is quite frankly irrelevant. It is irrelevant what I say here in regards to thinking about the people of the Super Bowl parade of Kansas City. It's irrelevant to a great extent because I live in Indianapolis and that doesn't mean that I can relate to the people or what they're going through, nor does it mean that the words that I say are going to have any impact on bettering the moment or the tragedy with which they are dealing. But simply to say this, I went to school near Kansas City. I have many friends that live in Kansas City. Also, details that are irrelevant. Except for that, I can say that Kansas City is a city that is very similar to Indianapolis. It is similar in its demographic makeup. It is similar in its population. It is similar in its layout. And it is similar in the fact that it is a city that largely uses sports as a rallying point to unify the masses, where people from different creeds, different walks, different religions can come together and celebrate a common bond, which in this case was the Kansas City Chiefs. In the case of Indianapolis, it would be the NBA All-Star Game or the Pacers Game or the Colts Game or the Indianapolis 500. But sports is supposed to be about unifying the masses where we put our problems aside to come and as one celebrate a common joy. In yesterday's parade, it, to me, two things, I guess, stood out to me or that that I couldn't kind of get past with the tragedy of the shootings in Kansas City with the Chiefs' Super Bowl parade. The first being that I feel for the people of Kansas City so much because people are people, I get that, but I can only imagine the heartache it would be even more so if that happened in our city of Indianapolis because we have such a pride of unity in those things. But they also can illuminate the fact that we still have a long way to go. And secondly, the victim that lost her life and I don't know a lot of the details. I have admittedly, I am ignorant to most of them. I don't know that many of the details that being in tune with them would even allow it to make sense or to to suddenly be a clearer picture. But the young woman, Lisa Lopez Galvin, that lost her life, as I understand it, was a radio personality, I believe in public radio, that did a show based around uh, music music of 
maybe the Hispanic culture or popular from like North Texas, even though uh, it was, I believe, playing in Kansas City on a public radio station there. But my point being, in reading the things about her, in reading the reflections from her radio station, she did what we don't do. And that is that she did radio as a means to educate, celebrate, and highlight a culture and a group of people that probably, if she was doing it on public radio, wasn't necessarily, it was a labor of love for her and a labor of passion. And it was one that served a community that felt that they needed a voice within the community, which is the ultimate testament to what we and this profession should strive to do. And clearly she did it because I read the reactions and the outpouring from not only her coworkers, but the people in that area that felt purpose by listening to her work. And I feel very terribly for not only those people, but also I commend and sing praises to Lisa Lopez Galvin for doing within our business and our industry what it at its core should be intended to do, and that was to bring people together. And it is very sad and very tragic, and maybe you could say very telling, that at an event that is to bring people together, that is where, unfortunately, tragedy struck. Um, But kudos to the Good Samaritans in the parade that chased down the culprits, and we'll see the legal system play out from there. Uh, but, Jimmy, I know for you that had to be tough to watch as well because you were watching, I believe, the parade, correct? Yeah, I, I had it on the iPad yesterday during the show. And, look, I just things need to change. That's all I'll say on it. We can't continue to live in a world where you're worried about going to simple places as churches or parades or just an everyday street corner. And my heart breaks for Kansas City and, and all those that are impacted by this and i hope that someday maybe we can live in a world more safely than what are supposed to be days of celebration don't have to be marred by fear anguish and death it is still by the way a celebration in this city though because all-star weekend is upon us i know that sounds like an odd transition but it is still a city like i said like kansas city where we come together we celebrate and we do it around sports one of the players who brought great joy to people in indiana is going to be back for All-Star Weekend. He himself, a former All-Star. His name is Rick Smits, and he joins us on the program next. By the way, I think I misspoke. My apologies. I may have erroneously said that Fred Jones is the only dunk contest winner for the Pacers. He was, I believe, the first. Glenn Robinson the third apparently won it, and then I think Paul George might have won a dunk contest also, but I could be wrong in that. But in terms of... Uh, the dunk contest and the participants, my apologies. Uh, Fred Jones, the f- the first one, I believe, but not the only one to win the dunk contest. But still um, going to join us tomorrow, Jermaine O'Neal as well. I recall vividly draft night of 1988. I went down with Dave Steinberg. Shannon still holds it against me to this day because we w- I was so dead set on the Pacers getting Mookie Blaylock. I was convinced they needed Mookie Blaylock. And they drafted Rick Smith's this this kind of shy, tall kid out of Marist. And Steinberg and I, along with about 5,000 people in the crowd, started chanting, Walsh must go. Walsh must go. And that, that's been brought back to haunt me a few times. But nonetheless, it all worked out because Rick Smith's turned out in that rookie year to have to play because Steve Stepanovich got injured and Smith's was thrown into the mix. He became a 
first-team all-rookie performer, and then, of course, by the mid-'90s, one of the best players for the Pacers in the teams that battled against the New York Knicks and later the Chicago Bulls, hit a big shot against the Orlando Magic, and was an all-star himself. And with All-Star Weekend upon us, thought it would be the perfect time to go ahead, Eddie, if you want to patch him in, and welcome to the program, Rick Smits. Rick, thanks so much for joining us. How are you? I'm doing great. Glad to be uh, talking to you guys. Uh, let's begin with this. You are currently, and I know that you kind of split time. I knew you were living in Indianapolis for a while and then moved to Arizona. So I'm assuming that Arizona is where you are and then you will be here for the All-Star Weekend, correct? Yes. Yeah. Uh spent the, uh, the winter in Arizona and uh, I'll be flying out there uh, tomorrow evening. Spent some good time in Indiana. Okay, so let's go back to, before we kind of look back at your career and just the fun and how much you, you keep track of the Pacers today, you know, being an all-star, I mean, this being all-star weekend and being in Indianapolis, when you were an all-star and you were playing in the all-star game, what memories do you have of it, or was it kind of a whirlwind altogether? Yeah, it pretty much was. Uh, definitely wasn't expecting to be an all-star that year, but uh, you know, the coaches picked me, so that was uh, you know was a nice honor, of course. But yeah, it was it was a whirlwind uh, weekend for sure. But uh, looking back, man, uh, I'm glad I got to be a part of it. Uh, it was a heck of an experience, and uh, man, we, you know we had a heck of a team back then too. Uh, not only the Pacers, but uh, the all-star team was was a lot of fun, and uh, yeah, it. Uh, Definitely a good memory that I'll never forget. You know, I think that we, Rick, think so much about, you know, as fans, right? Like the Pacers-Knicks rivalry, the Pacers-Bulls rivalry, obviously, in 98. But then in an all-star game like that, you kind of get a chance to intermix and talk to other guys. You know, did it kind of take away – I'm not going to say take away from the rivalry a little bit, but, like, did you enjoy the camaraderie that came with being with guys that you otherwise were wanting to beat whenever you played them? Yeah, I did. You know, everybody uh, seemed to let, just let things go uh, you know, for that weekend. Uh, I don't recall there was any Knicks on the team. I don't believe there were, which was probably good. But, uh, you, know, you know, Jordan was on the team. You know, he was he was really cool. Uh, all the other guys were really cool. You know, everybody was just glad to be there, and everybody was there to have a good time. Rick, I realize it's probably impossible to encapsulate a favorite play from your career, but when I found out we were having your on, having you on, I was only three when you were an All-Star, but I've rewatched the clip countless times Jordan finds you running down the lane you go behind the back to Jason Williams and he throws it down that has to be at least in terms of all-star game and your career probably one of the more exciting like connections and plays to have is that up there for you on your list of oh, plays in your career yeah for sure yeah for sure uh you know that's <laughs> that's one of the plays everybody remembers me by uh you know along with the uh, the game winner against Orlando uh, those are the two, you know, my two best plays, most memorable plays that I've had. What did it mean to be an All Star with Reggie Miller? Oh, that was great. Yeah, I uh, I really enjoyed that. Uh, I, along with the coaching staff, you know, Larry Bird, Dick Carter, uh, Carla was there. You know, it was just a great experience. Uh, but Reggie, you know, he had done it a bunch of times, so I you know I asked him about it beforehand. You know, what to expect and all that. So. Uh, I was nervous, you know. I'm not a, uh, I'm kind of a shy guy, laid back, so I didn't know what to expect, you know, all this hype and stuff. But uh, you know, Reggie uh, made me feel good about things that were uh, ahead of me, and uh, and he uh, he definitely helped me out. 
Rick, I want to go back to, because you made mention of it there, Rick Smits is our guest. I have always felt like one of the most underrated plays in Pacer history is the following, and I want you to tell me if this is me romanticizing or giving too much credit to a play. When you mentioned the play against the Magic, and I remember it well, Penny Hardaway hits a shot. I mean, there was there were like three game-winning shots in the span of like 45 seconds, and you ultimately end that game with that shot. I always felt like the most underappreciated aspect of that, aside from your move on Tree Rollins in hitting that shot, was a perfect inbound pass from Derek McKee. Now, have you ever actually said to Derek McKee, that was the perfect inbound pass, or were you going to hit it regardless of where the pass was? Well, Derek was a guy that, that did a lot of things that uh, you know people might not have noticed, and that was definitely one of the things. Uh, you know, great pass. You know, of course, he was known for his defensive abilities, and there's just a lot of underappreciated stuff that he did really well. And that was definitely one of the things he did while he was passing. You know, and I appreciate that he did that game. When you came into the league, Rick, you know, out of Marist, I, I think the one clip they had on draft night was the play from Coming to America of you dunking, right? So you're out of yeah. a small school. You're the number two pick in the draft, and then you you have to play early because Steve Stepanovich gets hurt, and you, and you're forced in as a rookie, and you make all rookie first year. But how far into your career was it? before you felt like the NBA game really was coming naturally to you as opposed to having to kind of think your way through plays, if that makes sense? Yeah, no, it definitely took me a while to get adjusted. You know, from coming from a small school, or you, you know, when you play a team, you might see one good player on the team. To now being in the NBA where there's five good players, I mean, there's a good player at every position. You know, and that, that, that took some adjusting. Uh, and I probably didn't really start feeling real comfortable till Larry Brown came around. You know, he uh, he really helped us as a team, but also me individually. You know, he gave me a lot of confidence, and uh, you know that that really helped me. You know, I really appreciate uh, uh, that from him because other coaches, you know, their attitudes might have been a little different. You know, Larry definitely knew what he was doing, and it uh, it helped me out big time. Which team that you were on did you rick smiths feel was the best wow uh i can't really remember the years of course all, all, all three teams of with larry bird of my last three years 97 through 2000 were, were pretty dang good but we've had some real good teams of larry brown as well um maybe even better than those last three years you know, but i don't remember i don't recall which year that was the team, yeah. I think people here would say, and you tell me if this if if this jives with what like you would retroactively think that ninety eight team that went seven games against the Bulls and then Scottie Pippen was allowed to commit sixty four finals uh, sixty four fouls in game seven of that of that game. But but to me that ninety eight team against Jordan's Bulls, which was probably the best Bulls team as well, that to me was the best of the Pacers era of the nineties. Yeah, well, was that the year that we beat the Bulls in the regular season, like three or four times or something? Correct. As a matter of fact, I think yeah. the Bulls team that won 72 games in 96 or 7, you guys split with. Yeah, so okay. you know that group, obviously, with Jordan's Bulls was right there with them. But Pacers-Knicks was pretty special, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, as I said, there were was, was several years, and I don't exactly remember what, what years they were, but that, we, uh, that I felt like you know, we should have won a championship. We should have gone a little further than we did. 
Which What's player, up? Rick Smits, that you played against gave you most fits? What what player, when you look back on your career, the center that you remember being, I guess, getting the most challenge from would have been who? Uh, I always struggled to get the Kim Olajuwon. And in, in my in my earlier years, he was just so agile, so quick, and you know he wasn't as big as me. He was he was almost like a you know forward. Uh, yeah, he just uh, man, he he got me every time. You know, he, he was just too fast for me to handle. In the later years, we actually put Dale Davis or Antonio Davis on him, you know, and I would guard their four guy. But uh, early on, I uh, you know when I had to guard him, I really struggled against him. Pacers legend Rick Smits is our guest. Rick, as Pacers know, you're the dunking Dutchman for a reason. Is there a favorite poster or dunk that you had in your career that stands out among the rest? Anytime I dunked on Patrick Ewing. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's true. Every Pacer fan would say that, right? <laughs> yeah. No, that's really not, uh, not one that stands out. But, uh, no, I, I really enjoyed uh, against the Knicks, against Ewing. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. So. Rick Smith is our guest. Rick, how old were you when you really first started competitively playing basketball? Uh, I believe I was 14. And started at a club, club team level. You know, over there in the Netherlands, we, we don't play basketball at school. It's all, you know, private clubs. And I started at 14. Now, the your home city, if I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm, I'm probably going to say it wrong, Eindhoven, did I say that correct? Yeah, that's good. Okay, yeah. so you grow up there, and you start playing basketball. What was the opportunity that led you to Marist? Did you have multiple offers, or was there like a Dutch connection that led you to Marist? I did not. I uh, I had a buddy that came back, had played at a junior college somewhere, and he was telling me how great it was in the United States, how much fun it was. So I started looking around, doing some research, and I I got a hold of a few junior colleges. I got an offer from a junior college to come play in, in Wharton, Texas. And then at the same time, I, I just made the Dutch national team, the, the junior national team, and we played against Hofstra University, uh, which was Division One school, and I did really well. I told myself, man, I can compete at the Division One level. You know, why should I go to a junior college? So I kind of kept looking a little further. And right along that time, there was a, a coach that uh, just, just got the job at Marist. He was looking in Europe for players to recruit. And somebody heard about that and told me about it. And this coach was coming to a game in a town – uh, about 30, 35 miles from me. So I said, all right, let me see. I'll go to that game too. Maybe I can introduce myself to that coach. And I did. And he, he saw me. I pretty much offered me a scholarship without ever seeing me play. And that was the coach at Marist at the time. So that's how I ended up at Marist. Now, when you were playing, Rick Smith's our guest, when the Pacers and Knicks were going through their thing, I was in college. I was interning in New York City for those Pacers-Knicks playoffs games in 94. And my the guy that I interned for, I was an intern at MTV Networks, and the guy that I interned for, his name was Rick Hankey. He was a producer there. And, yeah, I know, Rick. Yeah, and he said, oh, yeah, Rick Smits, was, uh, he lived on my dorm floor freshman year, and we taught him English by giving him a bunch of R-rated movies, and then he could only swear in English. Now, is that true? <laughs> well, that's, that's definitely not true. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what Rick Hankey will tell you. 
No, that's not true. <laughs> but I know, I know Rick pretty good. He, uh, he, him and his, uh, my roommate was good friends with Rick. They were both on the, on the track team. So Rick was always over. But, he, yeah, he's a good guy. But that definitely wasn't true. <laughs> so, Rick, take me through the process of when, you know, Donnie Walsh is sitting with the second pick in the 88 draft. And, you know, Danny Manning was kind of the prize of that draft. And, and at number two – Quite frankly, probably because of the fact that you're out of a small school in Maris, there was surprise that you went second overall. When did you know that you were going to be in the mix for Indiana? And what was the process of getting to know Donnie and just getting to know what the expectation was going to be for you? Well, uh, obviously I've met Donnie before the draft. I I visited, uh, I think, with three or four teams. I visited the Clippers, Philadelphia, and the Pacers. Uh, so I got to know Donnie pretty good beforehand, and he, uh, from what I recall, he pretty much promised me if you know, if I was available at the second pick, which you know most likely it was going to be, he would pick me. So even though he he had said that, I still had my doubts because, as I said earlier, you know, I'm not a very, I was a shy, not so confident guy. So I was like, oh, there's no way they're going to pick me second. But uh, fortunately, they did, and I'm glad they did. Uh, yeah, and after that. Uh, you know, Donnie was always there for us, training camp early in the season, and uh, you know things went well from there on. Rick, do you still follow college basketball as it stands? The reason I ask is I had a question for you about Zach Eady over at Purdue. Yeah, he's. Yeah, I've seen Purdue play a couple times. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't follow it. I don't watch games every day but every now and then i'll uh, turn on tv and watch i'll watch some college ball well even though he hit a three-pointer for the first time in his career the other day against indiana he is viewed as an old school style big kind of like you were when you look at today's nba how much work do big men like yourself need to put in if they don't have the ability to play outside yeah i mean they've, they've, they've got to be uh uh you know, they, they got to be high proficient, you know, high proficient scorer down low, uh, you know, compared to these guys these days that, that are just all over the court. You know, you really got to be amazing from just down low if that's if that's your game. You know. You know, when I look at Rick, your game, there's part of me that thinks to myself at seven foot four that you actually probably, if you look at centers of your era, Rick Smith. I mean, yourself, Patrick Ewing, you know, Elijah Wan's special because of the footwork, right? But, but you know, Tree Rollins is another name that I'll throw in there. I feel like you would have had the best chance of those guys to play in today's era because you did have step back and unique passing ability, but also you know, touch from 15 feet that, that that was rare back then. Do you feel like your game would have translated to 2024? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I always think that. Uh, you know, I, I never practiced my three-pointers back then. You know, I just shot, as you said, the 15-footer, which kind of came natural. But, you know, hey, if I was allowed to shoot a three-pointer, I would have been practicing three-pointers. And, you know, and as I say, I wouldn't have had a high percentage. I'm, I'm pretty sure I could have. It's a good point, and, that, and a lot of people bring that up. And uh, you know, it's, it's kind of a compliment to hear that when they when they say that. My youth fit right in in today's centers. And I think they're right. Pacers great Rick Smith is our guest. Rick is the motorcycle collection still going strong? Oh yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a hundred plus, so uh, <laughs> it, it's going strong. 
Now that that goes from collection to uh, like obsession, right? When you when you're talking a hundred plus, <laughs> yeah, you could call it that. But when did that yeah, begin? You, the... You've always been kind of a gearhead, right? Yes. Yeah, I got my first uh, little fifty cc motorcycle when I was seven years old. So way before I started playing basketball. And uh, yeah, it's just uh, it's always been a hobby. It's always something I enjoyed, and it's it's uh, still something I'm doing today. Did the Pacers have any sort of stipulation or restriction on you, like riding around on dirt bikes in the off season when you were playing, <laughs> or did you just not tell them about it? Well, uh, yeah, every uh, every contract back then had a uh, stipulation where you couldn't have any fun outside of basketball. <laughs> yeah. No, no skydiving, uh, no dirt bike, uh, no car racing, n- none of that. So, of course, I did still every once in a while. Secretly, the uh, secretly did it, but uh, <laughs> it was kind of hard to hide. I, I remember early on, I had some property in Zionsville. I bought forty five acres, and I was riding my dirt bike around on it. And the next day, Donnie Walsh calls me in and says, "Hey, Rick, what is this I hear about you riding your dirt bike?" I'm like, How the heck does he know? <laughs> so it turned out that one of my neighbors was good friends with uh, the Simons. <laughs> <laughs> they saw me on a dirt bike and they called the Simons and uh, hey, you won't believe what Rick Smith is doing here on this property maybe they thought it was just some other 7 foot 4 guy that lived in Boone County right <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's yeah. pretty obvious right um, yeah. so Indianapolis would have been the perfect place I would think though right because between and not just the Indy 500 but it seems to me like the U.S. Nationals or NHRA, and then you know, obviously in later years the MotoGP coming here. Like there would have been a lot to wet your whistle, right? Oh yeah, yeah. I definitely enjoyed Indianapolis all those years. This, uh, you know, I, I was into old cars, and there was always kind of uh, shows and swap meets in the area. Yeah, it was definitely a, a good place to be all those years. Rick Smith is our guest, of course, an all-star himself. You will be in Indianapolis for the all-star game. What sort of festivities do you have planned, or is it just kind of visiting people and catching up? Uh, yeah, they've, uh, they've got me doing a few things here and there. Um, well, i got a full agenda pretty much, but uh, in between I'll catch up with old friends. Uh, you know, My daughter's still in town, so I'll be staying there visiting with her. But uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be all over town and, and enjoying good old Indy. Who are the three teammates that you maybe haven't talked to or seen in a while that if, if if let's say they have a, and I think they do have like a dinner for Pacer alumni for the All-Star Weekend, but who are the three guys that you would most look forward to catching up with aside from the obvious of, you know, Reggie Miller or Dale Davis? Yeah, well, I've, I've seen Reggie a few times. I've seen Dale a few times. I haven't seen Antonio in a while. Um, I haven't seen LaSalle Thompson in a while. Vern Fleming, I haven't seen him in a while. So I hope to be talking to those guys. I'll tell you what, Rick, there are so many great memories. Um, I mean, I don't know whether or not – I think one of the great marks of a player is the fact that not only did he make mullets cool, but he made bald cool too. Like if you were able to do both that in one career, that's pretty legendary, right? Yeah, don't even bring up that uh, that bald uh, game, but man, like my hair never grew back the same after that. <laughs> the things you do for teammates, right? Yeah. Well, Rick, I'll tell you what, it's been a lot of fun catching up with you. Uh, we certainly wish you, you know, the best. Enjoy Indianapolis while you are here, and it's always good to see you at games as well when you're out and about your. Family. 
fan favorite for certain and for good reason. Uh, but enjoy the All-Star game and enjoy being able to tell people that not only were you the 7'4 dirt biker from Boone County, but also an NBA All-Star as well. Yeah, thank you, guys. It was good talking to you. Rick Smith, appreciate it, Rick, very much. Um, I'll tell you what, the bald look, by the way, was that team against the Bulls in 2000. And the, or excuse me, in 98, and then they went to the finals in 2000. I, I really thought the best Pacers team, the best team assembled of the NBA for the Pacers would be probably one of two. The one that was disrupted by the brawl, Jermaine O'Neal tomorrow, by the way, at 1 o'clock, or the one that went to the Eastern Conference Finals with the Bulls in 98. I, I just thought, and maybe I have rose-colored glasses on because that was like peak Let's get together with all the guys at Old Pro's Table and watch the game. I mean, my buddies and I that grew up in the Brown Curtain days, I just don't know that people who who weren't here, and I don't mean that condescendingly, living in Indianapolis in that time can really grasp the surreal and incredulous nature of watching the arrival of the Pacers before your very eyes in the mid-90s of that team coming together and then pushing the Knicks, the Magic, and the Bulls to varying levels of of success granted, but... When you grew up watching Jose Slaughter and Herb Williams and Brooke Steppy and Greg Dryling in front of the Brown Curtain waiting for the Cool in the Gang concert after the after the game, I mean, it just was such a a, a cool and fun time. Last night in Toronto, it was a Pacer player that, in fact, was perhaps a little bit unheralded going into it that helped deliver a win for them to push them into the All Star break. We'll get into that and more next. Last night, north of the border. I thought the guy that made the difference for the Pacers down the stretch, Pascal Siakam was really big, but uh, Ben Shepard with not one but two, you know, that, that shot's starting to come to him a little bit when when he finds himself open in the rotation and he can knock down an open jumper, uh, hit a couple big threes for Indiana last night, and then defensively down the stretch was really good for a team that has struggled defensively when Toronto needed a late basket, it was Shepard that got the shutdown stop. We'll talk about that and more with Tony East coming up just about five minutes from now. But tonight, it is the Purdue Boilermakers taking on Minnesota. And good news for Purdue fans, that game not in the barn. But uh, nonetheless, Jimmy, Purdue finds finds themselves in a position where, you know, you kind of, I hate to pick on Indiana State, but you have to kind of avoid where Indiana State was, right? Where you start to get a little bit comfortable. Credit to Matt Painter's guys in the regular season. That has not been an issue. And tonight, Another one where they want to just kind of stay where they are here in the Big Ten. Yeah, they're fully in the driver's seat for control of the Big Ten and are right there neck and neck and effectively a two-horse race with UConn for the number one overall seed. When you look around the country at the top programs in the sport right now for the countdown to March Madness that's ongoing, you want to do your best to improve your seeding as much as possible. And even though it might seem like an underrated aspect of it because there's four number one seeds to chase... That number one overall seed, in theory, gives you the easiest path to where you want to go, which is a Final Four and a National Championship. Now, the draw is a crapshoot. You might get a bad matchup in the Sweet 16, even if you are a consensus number one overall seed in the tournament. But the bottom line is they're chasing UConn, and they are playing with a level of not just confidence, but control of the Big Ten in the driver's seat at 11-2 and in the conference right now. They would have to really stumble over the next couple of weeks to lose the regular season title itself and be in prime position to capture yet another Big Ten tournament title 
once we get further into March. You know, in talking with Rick Smith and hearing him comment about Zach Eady, you know, somebody just sent me a text with a really good question, which was, would Eady be worth a team drafting just to have as a defensive body against, say, an Embiid or somebody like that? I think this year, and I know that he has, if he so chose, a year of eligibility left. But Zach Eady, I'm telling you right now, probably high end would be, or low end, whichever way you want to look at it, would be somewhere around 12. But I think Zach Eady has gone from a second round pick or even an undrafted free agent a year ago to mid to late first round now. I don't know that he's a lottery player, but I do think 12 to 20 based on two things. Number one, his... I think that, that that he's getting away from the stereotype that he's just like only good four feet from the basket. I think he has better footwork and fluidity than people give him credit. And number two, it's such a dry draft this year. And he is a known quantity and commodity. As one person told me, look, Zach Eady might be a guy that gives you eight points and six rebounds a game. Bismack Biombo, who, by the way, is the best player in NBA history. You know why, Jimmy? Because his name is Bismack Biombo. That's correct, because his name is Bismack Biombo. But Bismack Biombo's made a career out of like 8.6 boards a game just by defense and being a big body that, that is competent and by being a good teammate. And Edie is a known commodity that I think teams look at and can say, you know what, he doesn't have the splash of other draft picks, but we, we're going to know what we're getting for 8 to 10 years. And so therefore, boom, I think he does slot right now somewhere in that 12 to 20 range. Tony East, by the way, covers the Pacers. He will join us next. Here is a trivia question for you, Jimmy Cook. Where I shine, usually. Sarcastic quotes around that. This is an easy one. If you do not get this correct. Oh, no. Why are you doing this to me? If you don't get this correct, then you need to go right now over to one of the fast food establishments on the circle and get lunch for Eddie and I, and we'll carry the bad boy home. You ready? Sure. Which conference even though I think now, do they? Are, which way do they do? Let me ask you this: Which way do they do the All Star Game now? It's back to East West. Okay, that's what I thought. Our next guest will be rooting hard for which team? Our next guest? Yes, the Pacers. No, no, no! In the All Star Game, the Eastern Conference. Eddie, what would you like to eat? Let's go, pot belly sandwiches <laughs> on Jimmy Cook. <laughs> it's got to be the East, right? Yes. Good lord! See how smooth that introduction went. It's great. Tony East joins us now, and I'm sure thrilled to be doing I'm so. I'm not afraid to derail an interview and talk about Rocket League for 20 minutes. This is how I'm going to be treated That's on the right. show. <laughs> <laughs> Tony, where would you like to take this sinking ship? Oh, man. Uh, I would also love to be in- – I'm very close to you guys. I'd love to be included in this lunch run. This yeah, send me your order, please. So where where are you right now, Tony? <laughs> I'm at the convention center. Just got walked over here from Lucas Oil. So okay. I'm very close to you guys. How's the LED court? I saw you posted it on Twitter. That's going to be one of the main attractions of All-Star Saturday night outside of the events. Jake is worried about players uh, shattering a kneecap or two when the uh, okay. you know the reverberations of massives of humanity just hitting the floor. Well, What's does the court it, like? Does it have give? Yeah, so it's glass. It's kind of thick over like a screen, basically. Uh, but there, there is more to it than that. So the way, it, the way it was explained to us is like players at first – We'll notice that it's different, right? It's not like exactly a court, but after about five minutes, it'll feel like they're just playing on a normal court. And I understand the the landing on glass versus uh, hardwood concerns. I also don't expect there to be a lot of 
significant collisions in any all-star events. So I, I don't know if there's a ton that needs to be worried about. But it is really cool. Like, the, the way they can change it, they have this tracking thing where you can, like, see the players on a mini-map and where they're going to be moving. There's these little stars that can fall around. It is all really cool. Like, it's a very unique way to watch anything, really, including a basketball game. What I'm worried about with it, Jake and Tony, is – I envision a player going up for a dunk, slamming it home, landing, and not that the screen breaks and hurts them, but that you get a bunch of dead pixels on the LED screen. They're just a massive <laughs> yeah. footprint the rest of the well, evening. Do you guys, do either one of you guys remember when, and I don't remember when this was, I want to say 15 years ago, but there was a brief period, Tony, do you remember this, where NHL coverage, they decided to do like the green thing, not an LED, I realize, but an effect to show where the puck was. Do you remember that? Yeah. Uh, sort of, yeah. And yes. it ended up looking like Atari Pong, and people started like throwing up and having seizures <laughs> while watching it, and they had to do away with it. But So my question about the floor, Tony, is this. The, the LED screen, this is for which events that are going to be taking place around All-Star Weekend? I forgot about Foxtrack. I've been making the NHL things. When they had that yeah, the LED courts are the celebrity game, dunk contest, the three-point contest, okay. uh, the Steph Curry and Sabrina Ionescu uh, shootout, and I'm missing one of them. Oh, the skills contest. So you, if you're watching all the Pacers, you will see Tyrese Halliburton, Ben Mather, and Miles Turner on it uh, tomorrow night. Okay, and oh, no, Saturday night. Sorry. Then the second question is this: Is this screen? And I apologize for my like old man naivety here. Is this strictly <laughs> for television purposes, or if you are in the facility? Will you be able to, if you are sitting up close, be able to also see the effects of it? Yeah, you'll be able to see it in person for sure. Like the the thing that's like we were pretty, we were in the back row of the uh, the like bleachers they set up for showing it, uh, it to us today, and they had a guy demonstrate what it would look like with a player moving on the court, and you can easily see like these lines of stars following him. I think I tweeted a video of that part. And then up on the Jumbotrons where, you know, if you've been to a Colts team, you know where those are in the corners. That's where they have like the, the mini-map style thing that we were talking about where you can see like this little black outline of a person moving and where they are on the floor. And it's, it's really close to real-time accurate. So the only thing I'll be curious about is how that comes through on a TV screen in general. Like, will it be too bright? Will it just strange lighting but um they obviously have tested it so i'm sure it won't look bad but that, that's the only thing i'll be curious about in in person it looks really cool it's very unique i'm i'm just curious how it will like in the and i i realize it's a flippant competition but like in the celebrity game if you're coming down the floor and you're getting ready to pull up for a three and suddenly the floor changes and the colors change like how, you know what i mean what the hell is going on here right so I, I think suddenly static, it's like playing like, at the hyper at two in the morning on a saturday <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah, that that could be true. So, like the actual part of the floor that would line up and move during the event, I would imagine, like a contest, for example, is only on one end. So the other floor had like some dynamic moving elements, but the side of the floor that they'll actually be dunking on was just you know blue court with you know static elements on there. So I don't think that would be necessarily distracting. But it could be a fun way to spice it up. They have to do a crazy dunk while like something comical like a music video is playing below them on the court or something like that i think that could be pretty funny okay tony let's shift to what happened last night in toronto tony east is our guest by the way you can of course hear him on locked on pacers you can read his work at Forbes sports si pacers uh for sports illustrated and of course on his twitter account which is tony r east uh i thought down the stretch the difference in the game last night was the confidence albeit for just a couple of shots but the additional option of having Ben Shepard when his outside shot was kind of going there, 
but also his defensive intensity, which Indiana obviously has lacked in the stretch of games. Your thoughts on last night's contest? 100% agree. I mean, he had one of his best runs on both ends of his whole career last night. And I think I've said this to you guys before, but, you know, they had that stretch where they were kind of experimenting, playing with him like every night in the rotation. And my theory then, and now I really stand by this, is that their best defensive five, he's in it. He is one of their best five defensive players. Now, granted, their best, their purely best five defensively would not have Tyrese Halliburton, and that's not like their best lineup, but there are situations where Ben Shepard is like a piece the Pacers should have on the floor, but the interesting part is he was billed as this guy who'd be a good shooter in the NBA. That hasn't been a thing yet, right? I think he entered last night at like 27 28%. So to pair the good defense he had last night, including the game-clinching stop where he was just all over R.J. Barrett, that was flawless modern NBA defense without fouling in the lane on that last position. To finally hit the threes, and they were huge in that fourth quarter. That was really a back-and-forth game. To get to double-digit points and be the vital you know, missing piece in that starting five, they didn't have Neesmith, they didn't have Matherin, they needed somebody to fill up that off-ball guard wing spot. He was brilliant in that fourth quarter, and for a team missing four of its top seven for that stretch, they needed every bit of it. He was awesome. Tony East is our guest. He covers the Pacers for SI, Forbes, WTHR, and of course you can find his work on Locked On Pacers on the Locked On Podcast Network. Tony, I brought up a conspiracy theory, or as we like to call it around here, a tinfoil hat thought yesterday, and I want to get you to weigh in on this. It oh is clear from the interviews that Rick Carlisle's done in the recent days, including the one he did the other day, the wake-up call with KB and Andy, that the health of Benedict Matherin is a top priority going into the All-Star break, and that you could probably make the argument he could utilize this more than anyone else on this roster to get healthy, to get right, whether it's the illness or the bug that he's fighting off, whether it's the knee soreness, whatever it is, this would be a great time for him to get back to 100%. With that said, the conspiracy theory I have is he does not participate in Rising Stars nor the Skills Ooh. Challenge, and they, in fact, replace him in the Skills Challenge with T.J. McConnell. So a lot of chaos there. <laughs> uh, am, am I crazy, or could you see them having to make a tough decision with one or both of those events for the sake of his health in the second half of the season? It's hard. This close to the event. I think they just said that Vince Williams is going to be in Rising Stars a couple days ago, so I'm sure it's possible. But like now, the event's starting, and like the games, are, I think there's three games tonight, and then there's no more games. Like they're going to run out of guys who are even available to get to Indian for the event. So maybe he just wouldn't be available if he can't actually play. But yeah, they, you know, if McConnell's in town, he could do skills. If Nemhard would be eligible for Rising Stars if they need somebody, if he's still in town, I don't know who is and isn't staying. But yeah, that is certainly something to to think about for these events is if he'll even be available. But what, what, what if, Jimmy, your conspiracy theory stopped short? What if Miles and Ben have the same illness and they both can't be Ooh. in the skills contest? Then what happens? Are you bringing Obi Toppin off the bench there? <laughs> so you're going Tyrese, Obi, and TJ? <laughs> they got to have somebody. It's, t- it's called Team Pacers. They can't just have anybody do it. Tony, when I think about, speaking of Obi Toppin, you know, late in the year when the – when the the lineup starts to to tighten up a little bit, the rotation tightens. It feels to me like Obi Toppin is a guy. If you were to list players that have gotten significant minutes to this point, the one that could be at most risk of seeing his minutes diminish with the tightening of a lineup. I have nothing to base this on other than just feel and eye test, but it feels like Obi Toppin could get further and further pushed out. Tell me why I'm wrong. That, and I think you're probably right. 
um, because, you know, in the, in the postseason specifically, like when rotations really get small, like you need as many two-way contributors as you can get within reason. So the two guys that would stand out to me as like maybe wouldn't play as much, if at all, the playoffs would be him and T.J. McConnell. I know that sounds crazy with McConnell because he's a big energy guy and has been vital for their second unit, but the last time the Pays were in the playoffs, that happened, right? The game four against Miami in the bubble, McConnell did not play in that game. They went with Sumner uh, as a reserve guard and Aaron Holiday and didn't play T.J. McConnell a minute. And he, of course, is a different player since then. But, you know, I think guys that have some limitations uh, in open cases defense and in McConnell's case his size, you know, that, that makes it a lot harder to play you when rotations are shorter or scouting reports are way more detailed or just when the game is totally different. So those two stand out to me as who would be, you know, maybe playing less if at all. But that said, that's, you know, they're, they're not a seven guys at that point. We're talking Matherin, Jalen Smith, and the starters. So one of them is certainly going to play, and maybe they go nine and play both. But I think if they really need to tighten up, it would be those two guys. You know, Toppin's been hitting shots on the shooter now, right? He's been very valuable. It's nothing against what he's done or the growth he shows for this team this year, but you know, his lack of defense could certainly be a part of this. And Jalen Smith's shown he can be better at the four this year, even when he started alongside Turner for that stretch. So I agree with you that I don't, I don't know if he'd be completely out of the rotation, but certainly a guy whose minutes could be reduced in that kind of setting. SI and Locked On Pacers, Tony East joins us. Tony, where is the sweet spot? for Doug McDermott from a minute standpoint when we look at the second half of the season because clearly last night he's getting an increase for a number of different factors and he did play well last night but Benedict Matherin being unavailable clearly factored into that with how they were distributing minutes and just the flow of that game but with what will realistically be asked of him and what a fair bar is to ask of the veteran and the former Pacer where will that eventually settle off once the Pacers are back to 100% in the second half? I have a two-part answer to that. I think if he's in the rotation, right, we've seen that they were relatively healthy for the first two games after they got him and he was available. You know, he, he, played, he played in the first half of both of those games, but not the second half. Assuming he was effective enough to play in both halves, I think he'd settle in at some, like, 14, 15 minutes per game, which makes sense for you You know, you steal some rest time for Neesmith or uh, Siakam or whatever, whatever position McDermott is at. I think that makes the most sense. And if he's shooting really well that night or a defense doesn't have a good plan for him, play him a little more because he is now maybe their best off-ball shooter on the team, which, you know, after the trades is fascinating. But I think we're going to, you know, I don't know this. I, I think that McDermott will be in the rotation at least going forward. But I'll be curious if Shepard has more games like he did Last night in Toronto, we don't have a discussion in March. Like, maybe should they be trying to get Ben Shepard as that 10th guy? Do they want the defense more than the offense? Now, I think that with the bench unit they're going to have of McConnell, Mather, and Toppin, and Smith, they need shooting with that group, right? So McDermott's going to be valuable. He's going to fit. He's going to be important. So I think they're going to try to play him and make him fit as much as they can. But, you know, you, you saw what Shepard did last night. He had a rep as a shooter coming out of Belmont. Like, it would not shock me if that became a discussion at some point, but – I think McDermott, you know, especially coming out of the break when he finally gets to practice with his team here and then he will settle in somewhere, you know, 14, 15, 16 minutes per game. Tony, you gotten a chance yet? Tony East is our guest. Have you gotten a chance to walk around? I know you said you're at the convention center and you saw the floor um, just to kind of see the setup for some of the fan events. And by that, I mean away from things that include players holding on to and shooting basketballs. Have you gotten a chance to see what people like just in terms of bringing kids down and that kind of thing? What all is set up downtown? Uh, not a ton. I, I started at GameBridge, and, like, you know, the Unity Plaza is going to be fun for people all weekend, basically. And I walked down Georgia Street across to the convention center. If you were, if you were in Indy for the Super Bowl, 
you know what Georgia Street's like, you know, when there's events, like there are going to be, I think there's going to be people and stuff everywhere there, like there were seating areas, there's a bunch of stuff set up on both sides of the road, it looks really good. Uh, the crossover event is set up here at the convention center, I didn't go in yet because we're not, we're not allowed to yet, uh, but I believe it will be open later today for people to go check out, and then fans can, I think, start coming, starting uh, you know, later today or tomorrow. So there's a lot of stuff set up already in that, whatever that is, half mile, a little over, you know, stretch. Um, uh, and I think it'll be a good time for anybody. Like, even if you're not going to one of the events, the fact that Indy can have stuff for you to do on Georgia Street or in the convention center just will be fun for everybody. Tony East is our guest. Tony, going back to your pictures today from kind of the preview of what the court will look like and how the setup will be for All-Star Saturday night at Lucas Oil. This is a weird question, and it's not more conspiracies about injuries on the glass or anything (laughs) like that. It's a legitimate question. I'll give you that on the front end. I've always thought that basketball events are just weird in football arenas. I don't think that's like an unpopular opinion. I feel like a lot of people have a whether it's depth perception, whether it's just the the angles, the viewing angles, whatever, it's it's different in that environment because of how towering football facilities often are. What were your takeaways, even though it wasn't events going on, it was just the screen and it wasn't a packed house, how will this be like in both positive and negatives to different basketball events we've seen at Lucas Oil, like the Final Four, like Sweet 16 matchups there? Yeah, of course, in the I think it's 600 levels, what Lucas Oil calls that top part, like, you're up there, right? And it's a basketball court, not a football field. So it's so much smaller, 70, 80 yards smaller. So that will make it, you know, it's, it's just that will make it for a challenge. And I, it, But the LED will actually make it stand out more, and I think the tracking stuff will help people understand what's going on. But the the they added bleachers down off the floor. I, I, I mentioned that earlier when they were, like, leaving us around and showing us that. And they are, like, right off of the court. And then the opposite side of the court is basically it's basically where the – the south end end zone would be. So, like, if you're in that section of the seating, you're still right off the floor. There's, like, a little walkway between them. So all the lower seats are going to be, you know, even compared to the NCAA tournament that, that they had during the COVID year, much closer to the floor, which I think will be better, uh, even though, yes, it is a ginormously tall arena with a retractable roof. There will be some high-up seats. But the, they were able to get fans closer to the court this year than they have last time they had basketball events at a football arena. So I think that will make it better. I think that will make it feel like, you know, a basketball event and there will be a, a crowd you can hear from right on the floor instead of Jalen Suggs hitting a half-court shot and the closest fan is however far away they were that year. Jake, any word when we find out if the roof's open or not? I know you always are excited about that. I wasn't sure if that was if that's a conference they have. They flip a coin. I wasn't, I wasn't certain. Uh, I this. will tell you that the roof will not be uh, will not be open. It is very windy. Outside. They didn't test that today. Okay, I just want to make sure. All right, <laughs> telling you, man, those it is so hard to shoot in a big open air venue like that. And I don't mean open air. You know what I mean? Like just a huge venue. Yeah. Uh, Tony R well, East on X or Twitter is where you can read his stuff. Go ahead, Tony. I was gonna say I'll be curious. Like you know, players talk about depth perception, messing with their jumper. Sometimes I'll be curious if. That combined with a bright LED light right under your feet, like actually impacts the three point contest. Totally, I'm telling you, man. Yeah. How far? How far away are we from just them wearing Apple Vision during the three point contest? Like, is that the next? (laughs) Do you remember Google Glass? Oh yes. Okay. That was the big big thing for like three weeks. Was Google (laughs) Glass? Wore it during the pre draft process, and they had a whole behind the scenes of Okay Glass. Oh man, I remember those. Come on, just the worst. (laughs) 
You don't want to wear three thousand dollars on your face while also hindering your eyesight at the same time. Yeah, I mean, come on, fun right? to you. Come on. <laughs> they were trying hard on that deal, Tony. We appreciate the time as always, man. Enjoy the weekend. A lot going on, and we'll look for the coverage again. Easiest place to see the inventory of Tony's materials would be on Twitter X, whatever you want to call it. Tony R East. Appreciate it, Tony. Yep. Thanks, guys. Have hey, a good weekend. Uh, I'm telling you, Jimmy. Did you play basketball? growing up i mean yes just, i did not not particularly well but i did play basketball the hardest place that i played and i wasn't a great player don't get me wrong i was but, a scrapper jake i would go for okay. those loose balls go get the rebounds occasionally shoot a three i love to shoot right and i never met a shot i didn't like but the hardest place and i think most guys of my era will tell you this if you're listening to my voice right now and you put now what's eddie laughing at did you sneeze or did he laugh? I thought yeah, he sneezed. What, what's funny, Eddie? It was a small sneeze. Bless you. And sounded Thank like you. a laughter there. No. <laughs> Thanks for turning to the side and covering your face during the sneeze, by the way. I covered my mouth. <laughs> um, if you're listening to my voice right now and you are between the ages of 30 and above, 30 and probably the, 55 or 60. Just missed the cutoff. And you played high school basketball at any level in Marion County. Freshman basketball, JV basketball, open gym, or varsity basketball. Amongst the high school gymnasiums, now I'm not talking about Hinkle, where the light would come through. It was the best. Man, it was the best. The, the, the early like Tuesday sectional game at 5 when the sun's coming through on the court, or like the early Saturday morning games. That's why I love Saturday games uh, The best, the right? The sun come through the rafters. The best. Oh, love it. But if you're listening to my voice, you are saying to yourself right now out loud, I guarantee it. You're like, I know exactly what he's talking about. And there is one place, undoubtedly and undeniably, one place that was the absolute worst. The hardest gym to shoot in. Matter of fact, 239-1070 is the telephone number. If you played high school basketball in Marion County, I want to know right now, if you can nail it, do we have? And we don't have any prizes, do we, Eddie? We do not. How about a PBR with me? What a prize that would be! The guy that says I talk about myself too much probably would. <laughs> if you call in and you're like, "Look, Jake, I know you're talking about this gym." Now and you're I'm talking would... about the beer, right? Not pro bowl or professional <laughs> bowl wrestling. Professional Bowl Riders Association. That's Thank correct. You. Hey, here's the out for the guy that thinks it's all about you. You also have the option for Jake to just buy you the beverage, and then you can say, "Okay, good seeing you," and then send him on your way. Diet Coke's fine too. Doesn't matter, right? I mean, yeah. You have to assume the keg's not blown either. So, well, that's also a fifty-fifty, right? There has to be somebody right now that's listening that's like, "Jake, I know exactly what gym you're talking about." That was the hardest, let me give the qualifiers, the hardest gym in Marion County to shoot in because your depth perception was totally thrown off. Your depth perception was so bad, you couldn't get a feel when you would come off the screen or whatever. It was it was a totally abnormal gym. There were The have, worst in the state was Fort Wayne Southside. I have a guess I'm going to tell you after the break so that I don't give it away to our listening audience. Because so it's depth perception you're looking for. You're not talking about like, oh, it, the rafters are an issue. You mean all, depth. All of it. Just just in terms of you couldn't get a feel at in any way, shape, or form. You could not get a feel for like when, when you would, you're running down the floor, you come off the screen, and the ball's in your hand, and you turn. In, in your relation to where you are to the basket, you were completely thrown off. Now, which one should we go with first here, Eddie? 
numero dos because we just had a Tony. I want the record to show that I have typed my guess on the screen. I'm not going to touch it again just in case I'm right. So, Tony, we're going with? Tony, how are you? I'm doing wonderful, Jake, and I think you're probably talking about my high school. Now, hold on, Tony. What year did you graduate from high school? every day. Hold on, Tony. What year did you graduate from high school? 1978. 1978. Okay, so let me ask you this qualifier before you give the high school name, okay? Okay. Is the high school gym that you played in, of which we're speaking, still standing? No, it's gone. Okay. You are absolutely. Let me ask you All one right. other qualifier, Tony. My okay? guess is done. It, it, just out of curiosity, Tony, as we build Jake, this continued. It has the same second name as your high school did. <laughs> Does it happen to be very closely to proximity to 465, Tony? Oh, yeah. You can see it from 465. <laughs> okay. Jake. All right. Hang on, Tony. Now, let's see if Scott agrees. We didn't say the name. Scott. Yes. Where did you go to high school, Scott? I went to Greenwood. Greenwood High School. We'll speak slowly. Okay, now, what year did you graduate, Scott? 85. 85. All right, cool. Now, Scott, this is a – what high – are you thinking of a Marion County High School? Absolutely. Did you play basketball? What's the? What was the ceiling of your basketball career? I played varsity basketball. Nice. Okay. Greenwood. So, 85, Greenwood Woodman, right? Yes. How many games did you guys play in Marion County? Fair amount, right? A lot. So yes. th- so this particular school that had the worst gym to shoot in, when you would get to it, did you get on 465 and go 465 East? No, I went straight up 31. Okay. I think he's more towards my guess. Okay. Are you going with Southport, Scott? Absolutely. Yeah, Southport okay. okay. Here's the thing, Scott. Did you ever play in Lawrence Central's gym? I did not. I okay. played several schools up there, but not Lawrence. Southport, Central. Southport, by the way, is awesome. That field house is awesome. Let's go back to Tony. Love the field house, okay. At Southport. Appreciate it, Scott. And I'm not saying Scott's wrong because Southport, that field house is cool, but the bleachers for Southport are proportionate or, or the same as the distance away. But Tony, you had to shoot every mm-hmm. day in Lawrence Central. Did you ever get used to it, Jake? To be honest with you, yeah. See, I, to me, because I was there. It, it was normal. Uh, I understand what you're talking about, though, because, again, it was a dome. Uh, for those that don't know, Jake, I'll steal a little bit of your thunder real quick. It was a domed gym. Basically, right. it looked like a mini version of the old Astrodome. Cor- that is Jake, exactly Jake correct. Jake knows that exactly. <laughs> and, uh, I do know that, it Tony. Was a solid, it was a solid roof. It had beams, you know, going up to the center point, wood beams going up to the center point that held it up. And we had, the reason the gym was built that way is because we had a full circuit indoor uh, track facility. We had indoor high jump. I mean, it was a super cool building, uh, Tony. The thing that made it hard was for that reason... The gym, it it wasn't to me. It wasn't even necessarily the height of the the roof. It was the fact that the wall was so far back off of, like on, on the baseline. There was, mm-hmm. you know, usually the wall at a high school gym. The cheerleaders are standing along the wall, like eight feet behind the baseline. At Lawrence Central, it was like three quarters of a mile behind the baseline. So, so you had when yeah, you. Would, it was- yeah, you're right. You know what I'm saying? So when you would shoot from mm-hmm. the outside, you didn't have any idea. Your eye would see the back wall, and so you're like, whoa, wait a minute. Like, where is the basket in relation to that? I mean, it was it was totally, totally different than anywhere else 
that you would have played. So that Lawrence Central, absolutely. So the reason, long-winded and circuitously, that we per, that we did this little fun game is because I do think that when they used to have the Final Fours in the big domes, when it was at the the, the you know the Hoosier Dome back in the day, and then obviously at Lucas Oil Stadium and the Metrodome in Minneapolis and the the big venues like that, it takes teams a while to get used to that because you are just so used to automatically knowing and seeing the background where the basket is compared to where you're shooting, yeah. which sounds weird because so many guys play basketball. I mean, you play so many pickup games at Ben Davis over on on the west side, and you know there's so many areas of town where there are outdoor courts. That perception's a real thing. Totally, totally. And I'm curious to see how that comes into play or how that's a factor, if you will, in – the games that are going to be taking place at Lucas Oil Stadium. Now, where's the celebrity game being played? That is being played. That's I feel on like the it LED is at Lucas floor, right? Because it's at the LED floor. Yeah. Correct. Okay, so Connor Daly's going to join us. We'll find out if he's just like maybe he's down on Fall Creek right now, putting up shots, getting used to it. Right. I want to know how much Connor Daly is used to shooting a basketball, and he will be able to tell us that when he joins us, just over a half an hour from now. He's going to be in that celebrity game. Tamika Catchings, by the way, in an hour. All right, let's get back into it in terms of Purdue because I feel like that we have gotten so, and understandably so, excited about, focused on the All-Star game that we kind of have forgotten to talk about the fact that the number two team in the country, big game tonight. We touched on it earlier, Jimmy, but I think you said it best. This game with Minnesota uh, is one of those that, unfortunately, you get into this situation, right, where you've got a lot to lose, potentially, and you're expected to win, so not much to gain. I don't know how much you lose per se, but um, you just don't want to find out, right? I think right now they got a pretty firm hold on the number one seed in the tournament to the Purdue Boilermakers. They want to make sure they hold on to that. I go back and forth with it because I would argue that UConn might be in the driver's seat to get the number one overall seed just based on the opportunity that is presented to them night in and night out in the Big East. A loss for UConn is a one or a two, for those that don't know, just to re-clarify it, the committee bases games in four quadrants. A quad one game is a game against like the top 75 in the country if you're on the road, top 30 if you're at home. Contrasting that, a quad four is a team that's like 164th or worse in the country when you're playing a home game, 241st or worse if you're on the road. For Purdue, because the Big Ten has been kind of meh this year, a lot of their games that are still on the schedule are quad three opportunities for a chance to stumble. They still have just as many quad ones as UConn does. The problem is they have more of those ugly losses that could pop up if they stub their toe. That includes tonight against Minnesota, who is, you know, towards the lower portion of power five schools in college basketball where things stand right now. And they have to host Rutgers in a couple of weeks. Now, the good news is we've talked about it before. Mackey is as friendly an environment for the home team as you can find in college basketball, but there's just, there's opportunities to be cautious and be careful for Purdue for UConn. It's a bunch of quad ones and quad twos the rest of the way because of how good the Big East has been from any advanced metrics that you look in college basketball this season. To your point about being worried about the matchup and maybe having necessarily a trap game or having a just lull of a night for Purdue at Mackey, 
The reason it could be so devastating is there's not much separating UConn and Purdue in terms of tournament resumes, but that's a good problem to have. If you're any program in the country, you would love for your problem to be going into the final month of the season or month and a half of the season. How does our schedule look compared to the other top programs in the sport? Because we're worried about seeding, not making the big dance or not needing to stack wins. But there is one comparison between Purdue and Indiana State, Jake, that's so fascinating to me, which is how does a bad loss look and affect a resume like Purdue's in Indiana's in Indiana State's case, it's just trying to get into the dances and at large. For Purdue, it could be the difference between the top overall seed in the tournament and the second or third tier of still being on the one line. Here's the thing. I, I again I'm gonna go back to and this is totally different than the Indiana State situation. But if you look at Purdue and you look at their resume I think Purdue at this point has, they have accumulated enough extra credit that they can have a blown assignment. I know that some of it goes on the way back, right? And Gonzaga has done them probably not a lot of favors because Gonzaga now is like right there in that, you know, first four out group. I mean, but it's, but Tennessee, Marquette, and Arizona, those three alone is pretty impressive, right? Then in addition to that, if you look at their two losses, I mean, Northwestern, obviously, they avenged, okay? And Nebraska, I I guess if they face Nebraska in the Big Ten tournament, which is possible, and beat them, then you will say they've beaten everybody on their schedule. I I mean, I, I... it. It feels to me like, barring a major collapse, that Purdue has put themselves in really good shape here. And in addition to that, their their last two games of the year, they're going to be against ranked teams, including one of them on the road. So they got a chance to make up for it if they slip up here, right? And kind of get things back in the right direction. We're going to get a lot of answers. I think it's this weekend. It's kind of masked in All-Star Weekend, as it should be, because this is a great opportunity for the city. But if I'm not mistaken, either this week or next is when CBS has their tournament committee release that they started doing about six years ago of the top 16 teams in the field of 64 and where they rank in terms of how much work still needs to be done for teams and how firmly in they are in the NCAA tournament. Your answer to the question of who has the edge right now, whether it's Purdue or UConn, and I think you can make a case for either for being the top overall seed in March for the quality wins that Purdue has, UConn can match them with wins over Texas, with wins over North Carolina. Like They, they have enough response wins where the resumes are all but equal. What's going to be telling is where does the committee, because this, this is not a mock bracketology moment. This is not a, oh, we pulled some analysts and former coaches and we put together. No, this is the real committee releasing their findings at this point of the year, telling you, hey, if this was Selection Sunday right now, which it's not. There's still weeks of play to happen. But if it was this weekend, this is who would be the top overall seed. Whoever is in the driver's seat from those rankings has the real comfortability of we dictate the proceedings for the final seven, eight, nine games of the season. I'll tell you who in the Big Ten I've gained huge respect for. Not to the point where I'm going to go out and buy a t-shirt. Believe you me. What does a team have to do to earn a Jay Query t-shirt purchase? 
Just be cool. Okay. A lot of times they become cool once I make the purchase. Naturally. I mean, that goes without saying. I stayed up last night. <laughs> stayed up is the wrong word. I would have been up anyway. I sat there on the recliner and watched Utah State and Wyoming. Never been more proud of you. There were, I don't know why, but I've, I've just follow, I've always followed Wyoming. I think people know that. And there were maybe, maybe. Or, Wyoming's got a cool arena. Looks just like Mackey. I've been in it. They had, and, and they're struggling this year, but they've, you know, they've had some good years. They had maybe 400 people at that game. I, I mean, I was like, what is going on? Like, at one point, a guy sneezed like Eddie did, and the and unlike Eddie, the guy covered his mouth, and and, and you could hear him, and, and he was in row nine. It was crazy, but and I almost bought a Wyoming T-shirt last night, but I have a few of them already. Ohio State. I like Chris Holtman. I I think he's a good coach. I think he's a really nice guy. I, I like there's just a lot of things about Chris Holtman I like. And I think he's been he was a good coach at Ohio State. And he will land somewhere and be just fine. He got twelve and a half million dollars in a buyout from Ohio State. But let's look at Chris Holtman at Ohio State. Okay? He was hired in twenty seventeen. Goes to four NCAA tournaments. Has them as a number two seed three years ago. But they lost to Oral Roberts. And then, since then, I think they're 9-25 and 25 in the Big Ten. And I like Chris Holtman. And I think he's a good coach. And I think he'll be a really good coach wherever he goes next. And there's a lot to like about him as a person, a man, etc. But Ohio State, which isn't even a basketball school, better basketball tradition than people think, National champions, Final Fours in multiple eras, a lot of great players, big moments, tough place to play at times. But Ohio State, which basically basketball is the hobby that carries them through to the spring game. And yet Ohio State saw two years, two years of subpar play in the conference and said, you know what, $12.5 million, where's the check? Let's, let's move on. And I can respect that. Kentucky did the same thing with Billy Gillespie. I thought Billy Gillespie was going to be a great coach at Kentucky. He had done well at UTEP. I think he was at Texas A&M. And, and then he gets hired at Kentucky, and it's like, oh, good Lord. Kentucky's going to – I remember when Billy Gillespie got hired at Kentucky, one of my buddies that played at IU calling me and going, oh, man, they're going to win like three of the next ten cha-. – I'm like, I know. And he got there and was a train wreck, and Kentucky said, you know what? Enough, gone. See ya. Bye. They didn't mess around. You look at programs right now like Louisville. Louisville's going, I mean, Louisville's like circling the drain for like the third straight year. They can't figure it out. Why Why are you dilly-dallying around? If you're a big-time program and you realize it, it ain't getting any better, why are you dilly-dallying around? I, I love, I credit, and, and listen, I don't like it for Chris Holtman, don't get me wrong, and I'm not saying this as an indictment on Chris Holtman, but if Ohio State determined that Chris Holtman wasn't the guy they wanted to run with, then they just said, okay, here's the check, let's go. Now, granted, they've got a billion dollars because of their football revenue, but that's for football. And in basketball alone, Ohio State, they they didn't screw around, man. And... I think people can tell which program I'm talking about. I but can't I'm being, already. That's I'm being, why I, well, I'm being very careful because 
we have people in the building that, that say that I talk about this program too much, so I've got to be very careful. So I'm not saying any specific names of any programs. But if there are programs that you can tell that it's plateaued and it's not going to get any better, and there's no sign and no light at the end of the tunnel that it's going to get any better, and you are playing mediocre basketball, hoping for the NIT or the CCB or whatever other like buy-in tournament there is so that you can continue playing beyond Selection Sunday – If that's good enough for you, that's cool. But if you're a fan base and a program that claims to be upper echelon and you haven't been for a while now and there's no sign that it's turning around, then be in Ohio State. But they gave him seven years, Jake. Like, they gave Holtman seven years. This is year, what, three of the current program you're talking about? But what I'm saying is it went south in two years. And in two years, they just said enough, right? It did. I just I I, I get hard... what you're saying, but he had success for the for the first part of that. The second it started to go south, they're like, "Yeah, that's it, gone, see ya, done." Right? We ain't screwing around. We're not going to sit here and talk about like, well, we just got to get him to play harder. We're not going to sit here and talk about the fact that we got a five star coming in and four on the way out. Great, make a change, do it. Right? Making the tournament and making some noise will only buy you so far. Another program that I look at that probably needs to take a hard look in the mirror and figure out what the hell it is they're doing <laughs> is Juwan Morgan or Juwan Howard, excuse me, and <laughs> Juwan Morgan on the Indiana side of things. Juwan Howard in Michigan, like they're yes, they made a regional final three years ago, but they've been a mess the last two years. I don't see it getting any better right. there. Is there light at the tunnel? Right. And the question becomes: How long do you give a regime, a coaching staff? Before you pull the plug, because if Michigan did it this year, they would be three years removed from a regional semifinal as an 11 seed, four years removed from a regional final as a one seed, but two years now, we're not going to sniff the NCAA tournament five years overall underneath the tutelage of Juwan Howard. Where is the mark in today's college basketball landscape with the transfer portal, with NIL, where is the appropriate amount of time before you can comfortably say, man, this isn't it. Like, I, I just don't think... Two and a half, three seasons is enough for me, even with what's there. But sometimes when you know, you know, right? Haven't you ever been in a relationship where you're like, you know, people are like, what, what's going on? You're like, I don't know. It's just kind of, I'm not saying, certainly I'm not in this now for those listening, <laughs> but, 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 you know, you're in, like where you're like, I don't know. It's just kind of, it's like plateaued and we're just kind of going through the motions. And then, you know, you're like, what happened when you guys broke up? And it's like, we just kind of mutually decided like it just, there was no, it, it there was no spark anymore. Like, sometimes you just know as a program, there's no spark anymore. Ohio State knew, like, you know what? No spark. No spark. No no side. They got no flint. You got no wick. You got no kerosene. No spark. And no no chance that there's going to be one moving forward. I like Chris Holtman. I do. And I think he's going to be a good coach elsewhere. And I I, I don't like Ohio State at all. No, but I can respect it. I can totally respect it. It was clear for Archie Miller in that fourth <laughs> season Maybe even earlier than it was that. Clear in the midway through the but, second. But, but correct. They gave him still they out of just the they thought did. of let's not go through this cycle where we're just a uh, three years out. Three years. The good out, news for the out. Romeo Langford era is it allowed a ton of people to wait in line in thirty degree temperatures to get the autograph of a future backup point guard for the Salt Lake City G League team. <laughs> Hell yeah, let's go. We come back, something that happened earlier today that you folks are going to hear about tomorrow, and I'm going to tell you about that and why you're going to want to hear it next. I mentioned this earlier. I'm going to mention it again. It was very important to me, and I appreciate Eddie and Jimmy helping out with that. I mean, 
uh, for all three of us, it was important. So it was a, a 30, 30 and a third percent effort by all three of us. But um, to really focus on the all-star game in particular today and tomorrow, uh, just with all the festivities coming here and, and kind of tying it into also the history of the Pacers and the NBA in Indianapolis. And in that capacity, we've had a couple of different guests. We had Rick Smith on earlier. Uh, it is not often. It does happen. It is not often that we pre-record interviews, but sometimes if a, if somebody is available only at a certain time, that's when you do it. And we did, just before the show today, record an interview with Jermaine O'Neal, the, of course, former Pacer, six-time All-Star, drafted by Portland and then traded for Dale Davis to come to Indiana. And I mentioned earlier... Sometimes when you do an interview, while you're doing the interview and the person is talking to you, you are listening to them and you're thinking to yourself, wow, like I I did not expect this level of transparency or openness. Uh, Jermaine O'Neal talked with us for a little over 30 minutes, I think it was, and was incredibly transparent, incredibly vulnerable, and incredibly just honest with looking back on a number of different things far deeper than simply being a six-time all-star or an all-star game starter for representing the Indiana Pacers. He had he touches on why he's hesitant to come back to town. He touches on some things that happened that I didn't even realize and I had to cover every single moment of it about the brawl. He touches on what lacked in his upbringing that was fulfilled in Indiana and why it made it so hard for him to leave and ultimately come back. I thought it was one of the most raw, to use that term, interviews in a good way uh, that I've done in, in some, not not that I've done, but that I've heard in some time. You know, Jimmy, you were there too. And uh, afterwards, Jermaine O'Neal said to me, uh, thank you for that. That was my truth. And we will run his truth tomorrow at 1 p.m. Also, as part of the All-Star Game, you have heard me say on many occasions that I have a fear about the Pacers ultimately, possibly, you know, with the markets that are available right now in the association that would like a team, Seattle, Las Vegas, probably Nashville, maybe Austin. There are growing communities in the United States that could benefit from the NBA, Mexico City being an area where they'd like to expand, Um, And I am grateful that our colleagues, Kevin Bowen and um, obviously Andy with the wake-up call with KB and Andy this morning had on Adam Silver and asked him about the possibility of the Pacers ever leaving the city of Indianapolis. Here is the NBA commissioner. You know, I don't even want to suggest in answering the question that I even think of them as a tenant with a term. I mean, the, the Pacers are... Indiana's team or Indianapolis team, by the way, you know, shout out to my friend Herb Simon, who, you know, I'm never going to say is the oldest. He's the longest standing owner in the NBA at, at, you know, over 41 years of being the owner of this team. He's been the chairman of our board. He's been involved in every committee. His son Steve is involved as well as the rest of his family. He has a partner in Steve Rails, 
um, who's also completely committed to uh, Indianapolis and Indiana. As I said, there's a wonderful um, uh, partnership with local and state government here. This team is absolutely going nowhere. And, it, and also, as I said before, I mean, this is the heartland of basketball. This city punches so far above its weight when it comes to basketball and the NBA. That is Adam Silver, and the thing that I loved about that is when he mentioned the fact, and keep in mind, you know, Steve Rails, the minority owner, they Herb Simon recently sold an increased percentage of the franchise away. And what that does is that, and that is absolutely by design. People can tell me all they want, that I don't know what I'm talking about, whatever, that's cool. I'm telling you right now, it is absolutely by design, and the reason it was by design is because by selling off percentages of the franchise as it stands right now, what Herb Simon is doing is alleviating the federal estate tax that comes. Sure, Indiana doesn't have an inheritance tax. It's not an inheritance, it's an estate tax, but... It, it alleviates the tax burden through the bequeath of the franchise that would take place, but it would also still keep the Simon family as majority owner. It is definitely by design, but I appreciated that question from those guys and certainly that answer from Adam Silver. Uh, that entire interview from those guys available, by the way, on our website, 1075thefan.com. One of the guys that will be putting up shots in the celebrity game is next. Connor Daly will get that kind of roar of approval, one would assume. When he is out in the Celebrity Ruffles All-Star Celebrity Game for All-Star Weekend, certainly will for me because it'll be good to have one guy out there I know of. Um, because then I look at it and the rest of them, and I remember I'm 51 years old. But he joins us on the program right now, and I'm sure probably out somewhere on Fall Creek hoisting up shots, getting ready for it. Connor Daly joins us. Connor, how are you? Well, I'm not going to lie. That, uh, that little intro there of the radio broadcast that you were so kindly a part of uh, – Made me uh, a little emotional in my heart, so I feel good right now. I feel special. <laughs> it, it, you know what? Here's the thing. I'm not going to lie to you. When, when hearing that clip, um, it probably gets me like the juice is flowing in the same in the same way, right? Like it's pretty darn cool. It's a, it's hell. We're only three months away, right? So I guess we'll begin with that. First off, you're going to be back in the 500. You have uh, of course qualified for 10 Indy 500s. You will be attempting to qualify for your 11th along with the guy that's won the race and all teaming up with Dennis Reinbold, correct? Yeah, it's going to be an awesome month, man. Well, an awesome next four months or three months, as you said. Um, you know, extremely excited to be with Dennis Reinbold. I mean, that's the, he's a household name in the IndyCar Series, the NCT IndyCar Series. And uh, I, 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 when I first got the call from him, you know, he said, I want the best guys behind the wheel. I want two guys that, you know, he knows can win. Obviously, Ryan hunter Ray, my teammate, has proven that already. Uh, and, and I've been able to run at the front there the last few years. So um, you, you couldn't ask for a better place. The, the crew guys are incredible. Everyone is there, ready to go. You know, the, the preparation that they go uh, through for the Indy 500 is, is fantastic. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pumped to be with, with Dennis and, and, and have Don Cusick as well, Cusick Motorsports involved. So, it, 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 it's great. Everything about it is is as good of a situation as I could find myself in, um, you know, as, a, as not a full-time driver anymore. Connor, what's that process like for those of us that will never go through it of going through an off-season and wondering where your next opportunity is going to come from and ultimately, as you mentioned, the, the feeling of elation to be a part of such a great group like Dry and Reinbold Racing? 
I mean, if I'm completely honest with you, which is usually my problem is I'm far too honest, but <laughs> I, I will be honest with you. It, it, I mean, it's, it's chaotic. You know, if you ask me in, um, you know, in, in August, I was like, shoot, I thought I had a meeting with Ganassi to be in that, you know, be in the car there full time. But like, you know, this is hopes and dreams of, you know, if we had the sponsorship, if we had the support, you know, we talked to a ton of different teams, talked to a lot of different people and, and you know, it all depends on the finances. Right. And so in the end, um, you know, I would have loved to have been full-time in IndyCar, but I also, you know, if I, if I was to do that, I, I really wanted to be with, you know, a really competitive organization. And, and uh, you know, we, we didn't have the sponsorship for that. So, you know, you, you look at, all right, well, now the best thing that I need in my career is a chance to win the Indy 500. And Dennis Reinbold and, and his group, uh, you know, when I talked to Dennis, I was like, this is probably the best, you know, this is definitely the best chance that I've got to uh, to go out and, and, uh, you know, and, and test in April and be ready for the month of May. And so um, every day was different for a while through the winter. Every day there was hope. And the next day that hope was crushed. But it's, um, it's an emotional ride. Um, and in the end, it, it, it's, it, there's a lot of positive things to be happy about as we go forward. Connor, which is a bigger challenge? Is it a bigger challenge to be – to go in with a team that is a well-funded, well-established team, but to have it come together late and maybe be like the fourth car in a four-car stable, or to go with a team that maybe isn't as, as highly funded, but to know a hundred days out that that's who you're going to be working with and being able to prepare with them for the entire time. Well, I guess I've been a part of all those different situations. I mean, I've shown up and helped sticker my own car uh, the night before Indy 500 practice starts, you know, in, in 2018. So, like, you know, we've we, we I've been able to experience a lot of different things at that race, you know, as part of that event. Uh, and 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 this situation is is definitely well uh, well organized. You know, Dennis Dennis does invest a lot of his own money into this program as well because he cares. And, and that's what you want to see. You know what I mean? Like this, this didn't depend on me coming with a sponsor. You know what I mean? Like we're still, you know, we're still trying to sell it. Like we're going to sell it and find a good partner for it and, and to be involved with us. But, you know, Dennis wanted to lock his guys in and, and, and crew members, engineers, you know, people. And, 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 and I respect that. And so, yes, we, we couldn't be better prepared as a one-time, you know, uh, entrant for, you know, for one IndyCar race this year, you know, the best race. But um, I, I truly believe that we, we couldn't be more prepared. And, the, and I, I've already seen the, the amount of work that's gone into, um, you know, what, these, what this team does to prepare. And, and, it's, and, it's, and it's, you know, it feels good to be a part of. Here we go. I got a sponsor idea for you. You ready? Okay. I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> Since you're playing this weekend in the Ruffles All-Star Celebrity Game, you go out and hoist up a couple shots. You look good. You get a little rhythm going. You get the Ruffles folks impressed. And next thing you know, you, you got Ruffles on the side of the car. Look, really? I'm not going to lie. This has already gone through my mind about 10 different times. When I show up tonight to the shoot-around, I'm going to ask for the nearest Ruffles representative. Because <laughs> I, I, I cannot wait to potentially pitch a Ruffles car, yeah. the Ruffles number 24. I mean, it just makes sense. It would be amazing. Um uh, you, that, that's we're selling every day. I, I've had a lot of different pitches uh, come across my desk, so that would be certainly one of them. I just okay. want to see you any time on the bench instead of Gatorade in your hand. You're just eating a bag of Ruffles. Like any time a camera's near you, it's Connor Daly and Ruffles throughout the weekend. 
I mean, if they don't have those gallon bag of ruffles like at every seat, I, I would be very disappointed. So we'll see. I, I, I hope to be, you know, if we win, I hope they have like a giant tub in the locker room full of ruffles. Like yeah, I think dump that ruffles over the head, the whole deal, right? It just seems right. It just seems right for 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 celebration and uh, you know for for the sport of both basketball and motor racing. Just tell them, Connor. Tell them that nothing goes better with ruffles than milk, and so you can you can bridge the whole thing for them, right? And just you know, I see it in the proposal now. I already see it coming together. <laughs> right. I, I, I've I've imagined this car several times, so we'll see. We'll we'll get the ruffles representatives on the phone. How much preparation have you done for the celebrity game? What's your basketball background? <laughs> Well, I mean, I, I don't want to oversell it like I've been practicing a ton and I plan to go out there and get a double-double and, and try to, you know, drain a couple three-point shots from, you know, from the corner. But, you know, I, I, I was a, a young lad in Indianapolis playing at the Indiana Basketball Academy, IBA, you know what I mean? Uh, Todd Abermasi's Todd place over there. Um, and uh, that, was a, that was a great experience in my life. We were the fifth grade Heritage Christian Eagles, uh, fifth grade basketball champions. We had a fifth grade tournament, so no big deal. Hang the banner. Um, that was that was a good time in my life. Uh, but also, I, I just love shooting basketball. Like honestly, if you if, if there's ever a court and a ball, like I'm going to shoot baskets just because I really really enjoy the sport. And I'm a diehard Pacers fan. Love supporting the team. Um, and yeah, I, I have been putting in some work. I've been in the Pacers practice facility a couple days, uh, training with some friends that I've got there. Um, and, and, and yesterday I did some work as well with a buddy of mine, Jason Smethers, um, who works with Gordon Hayward a little bit. Uh, so we were, I am very sore currently because we were running up and down the court. I've been trying, I've definitely, I've definitely tried to put in some, uh, them work recently now i would think that fifth grade team when you guys won you probably celebrated by having ruffles right i mean so this is all natural again right i would assume so i would assume that fifth grade <laughs> class was uh neck deep in ruffles after that championship winning game indy's own connor daly is our guest you'll see him tomorrow night in the ruffles celebrity all-star game connor i guess to get more into your game profile what describes you more and you can give your own answer if none of these are sufficient catch and shoot specialist Scrapper, facilitator, where, where, do you, where do you envision your game for the celebrity matchup? I envision myself being TJ McConnell. I think yes. he is a very scrappy, fast, smaller person on the NBA court, and I plan on probably being one of the smaller people out there. And uh, I just, I'm, I'm envisioning TJ McConnell. That's what I'm doing. I, I'm, I'm going to be out there. And I'm going to try to maybe get some very special assists, maybe sneak the ball away from some people and put it in the basket. Um, I, I I actually don't know how like how much time each player will get or like like what they'll what they'll who they'll put out there. I like Micah Parsons is on my team. I assume he's playing the whole game uh, because he's probably <laughs> right. you know an elite athlete. Um, well, he is an elite athlete, uh, and I've already communicated with him via DMs on on Instagram. I said, hey man. I plan on feeding you the ball any chance I get, and and so he was uh, he was excited about that. But uh, yeah, that that's kind of how I'm how I'm looking at it. I don't want to like I don't want to make a fool out of myself. I, I and I want to at least have some stats on the board. Are you now, pre- Connor? Here's the thing: you need to have a bunch of assists. You know why you need to have a bunch of assists? <laughs> Tell me. 
Because you can let the Ruffles folks know that that's just the precedent for the fact that you will always you always make the pass, right? I'm a team player. Yeah, I, I'm, well, I'm a but you, team on the racetrack. You, on the racetrack, you're always making the pass, the pass for the lead. Ruffles up front, right? Exactly. This is a great campaign, and if this does happen, mark this down in your history book. <laughs> that's right. Now, I want to know this. Celebrity, okay, Connor Daly, pride of Heritage Christian, right? Yep. Noblesville zone. When you look at your resume, 10 Indy 500 starts. Now, do we count the year that you were counting the year that you qualified, but unfortunately couldn't start because I think the car caught on fire beforehand, but I still count that as a start. So that's that's a start, right? Indeed. Yeah. Okay. Technically, I did make the race. Yeah. So, I, I right. sort of drove out there. So 10 <laughs> Indy 500 starts, competitor on the amazing race, and Ruffles all star celebrity participant which one is the one that is the coolest to you <laughs> well i mean the indy 500 for me is 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 what i wake up breathing and thinking about you know i live and breathe the indy 500 and that's um what i love so i i, I think i've i've been very lucky to get to do a lot of um really cool stuff in life and, and i i'm very appreciative of all the chances and you know it's it's kind of crazy to look back on now. Uh, I guess that means that I'm getting older, which is also kind of crazy because I still just kind of see myself as a kid from Indiana who enjoys basketball and racing. But uh, but yeah, pretty pretty cool to uh, to have all these little mementos and uh, maybe we'll, we'll hang the jersey up after this on, in the in the hall of suits that I have in my uh, in my closet. <laughs> so I I emailed the amazing race folks and hopefully. We have better luck getting Ruffles on board with you for the 500 than this. You tell me because you've been on it. Uh, so I, I sent the email along with like 900,000 people uh, for a team on the amazing race for me. And I sent the video and I did the whole deal, right? And I tried to tell them I do a little dog and pony show in Indy. And I've never heard back. So does that mean I'm screwed? This was like three months ago. I think I get asked almost every two weeks about how to get on the amazing race. So you're, you're not the only one. And... Uh, we we definitely Alex and I Alex Rossi and I got uh, got pretty lucky with the way we got in there. But uh, I, you know what? Never say never. You you just might have a chance still. That that call might come. Now the amazing race when you watch it, not the Indy Five Hundred, but the amazing race when you watch it. Uh, each episode, Connor, it's always like you know we're watching it, and I'm always like, oh my gosh, like the you know the whatever team. I mean, look at like it's super close. Whatever is that editing or 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 the teams all really arrive at the mat like within five minutes of each other? I mean, honestly, a lot of it can be edited to be a little bit closer. But there were several situations for sure where it is actually that close. Um, and uh, and you know we were a part of a couple of those episodes for sure. So yeah, I mean there's there's some special special hyped up editing, but there's also a lot that's like pretty legit. I would say there's a couple times where if, if it is too close, they'll have them like redo their entrance because like they want to, they do want to take advantage of how close it was. But yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's 99.8% like super, super legit in the way everything's finished. And, um, you know, it, it was a fun, it was honestly looking back on it now, if you ask Alexander Rossi, I don't know if he would have the same opinion, but I, I, I really enjoyed, um, doing it at now, now that I can look back on it. At well, the time, very difficult, but I enjoy looking back on it. You, you know why you would have enjoyed it more than Rossi, right? This is very easy I, I, to figure out. I don't out. know. Well, I think probably because you got, Rossi got to do it with you and you had to do it with Rossi. That, that probably would be the reasoning, <laughs> right? 
Oh, no, I was lucky to do it with Alexander Rossi. He's got a big brain. and He does have that. He's got that, like, you're right. He's got that geometric brain to figure stuff out, right? Um, Yeah, he's like the CEO guy. So if I get picked for this, how long is it? Like, how long am I out? Because I'm going to have to leave work. Can you fill in on the radio for me? Well, see, you can't tell anyone why you're leaving. So, therefore, you're just going to have to, like, fake a disappearance or something or say that you're (laughs) – Oh, like jury duty. On a, three week on jury like a, duty. Yeah, do like a mental health journey or something, and you'll be you're, you're away from your phone. So technically, if you do disappear, anyone who's listening to this will now know why you're gone for at least a month, a month and a half. Wow. Okay, that's a long time. That's gonna be tough, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's all right. Hey, what all has gone into the preparation? Aside, kidding aside, Connor Daly, our guest, he's going to be in the Ruffles All Star Celebrity Game which takes place tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. You can see it on ESPN. Um, what all does go into just in terms of the logistics, Connor? I mean, in, you know, do they just say, hey, get here at 645, we're going to roll out, or do you have meetings, prep work? What all goes into this? Um, well, honestly, I, I, it's been cool to work with all the folks uh, that, that have been, like, helping me get into the system because I assume I'm the least famous person in the celebrity game. Um, so, I, you know, I'm not – I, I'm just like, hey, like, just let me know where to go, and like, do I need to, like, do I need to bring shoes? Like, I, you I gotta wear know. a name we, tag. We were, yeah, like we were, we were supposed to have a like a fitting today, and I was like, oh, cool. Like, I assumed like we'll get some like jerseys, shoes, whatever it is, and like, I guess the fitting got canceled because of like manufacturing like uh, issues. Like, must have been the the holdup in the manufacturing lines. I don't know. So, so there's no more fitting. So I'm just showing up tonight <laughs> to the shoot around. We got a little shoot around tonight, a little practice. Um, with I assume I, I found these basketball shoes uh, that I've been wearing to practice in. They're a little tight, but that's all kind of all I've got. So um, you know, I'm going to show up ready to go. I just want some headbands. Like I want some NBA head. Like I want a headband. I want a sweatband for both my arms, both my legs. I want to have as many sweatbands on as possible. You a shooting sleeve guy? Oh, that's actually that's like a great idea. <laughs> you mentioned it. I I want all the sleeves. I want every I want every bit of NBA branded merchandise they'll give me, and I'll wear it. So I'm I'm ready for it. What IndyCar driver would be the worst basketball player? Oh my gosh, uh, great question. Probably any of the foreigners. I don't know. I I, I don't know. We've got a lot of. Uh, we got a lot of international flavor in our field, and, and there's a lot of really good international basketball players. But like, if you looked at, um, uh, I'm, I'm going to say, I, I really want to pick the right answer here. Um, Pato, Pato Ward, I don't think is shooting baskets. I, I just, I, I don't see it. I, I, I don't see it. Yeah, I don't think that he would be able to like stand still long enough to set up a shot, right? No, yeah, I, I just don't see it. He's very skilled in everything he does in his life so far, but I just don't see him, uh, you know, making a layup. I don't you know see what? him at the free throw line. Polo doesn't look like he'd be very good. <laughs> that's actually that's actually a good one as well, <laughs> right? Like now that I think about it, Alex, I don't see Alex Polo pulling up for a three on the break. You know what I mean? I don't either. I just don't see it in his knees. I don't see it. I don't see it. <laughs> All right, so tomorrow again, tomorrow night, 7 o'clock at Lucas Oil Stadium, the Ruffles All-Star Celebrity Game. This is the precursor and the explanation for why sometime in late May you're going to hear me in turn three saying that the Ruffles – now, what, what engine manufacturer are you going to be in, Connor? 
We are the Team Chevy. We are, we are Chevrolet, proud American power. All right, so the Ruffles Chevrolet of Dreyer and Reinbold sweep into the front of the Indy 500, and it all started here, right? I'm going to take credit for it. Gosh, that would be awesome. <laughs> I can't wait to have, like, the giant Ruffles trailer pull up to the bus lot <laughs> and just dump, like, 700 pounds worth of chips, delicious chips in the bus lot. <laughs> Absolutely spectacular. Connor, we appreciate it, man. Enjoy it, okay? Thank you so much. All right, Connor Daly joining us on the program. Um, I can only imagine, you know, being in the Indy 500 for that long would be absolutely awesome, right? And once you've gone through that many editions of the greatest spectacle in racing, a simple celebrity all-star game has to be second fiddle in terms of nerves or pressure, right? Now, there were, okay, so there was one, I, I would agree, there was one of the, the Speedway sent out a tweet of a guy that looked kind of like Ryan Fitzpatrick, like a younger version of him, or like Felix Rosenquist. And he was like, hey, I'm here at the racetrack, and they picked me up in a pace car, and I came straight here, and we just did some laps, and it was awesome. And they never said who it was. And literally every 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 comment was people like, who is this? Well, it's one of the celebrity guys, and he's a YouTuber. And I still don't know which one it is, but, but he has like, you know, five and a half million YouTube or Twitter followers or Instagram or whatever else, right? I feel like this went from being a IMS Twitter problem to a jQuery ignorance problem real quick. No, I'm telling you, like... <laughs> no, I'm, what, I'm, just, I'm obviously just having I'm fun with is, it, but it goes back to your do, point earlier about people not knowing who these people well, are. Well, totally. It's just a different era of fame. I mean, you know, and a different demographic of fame, but are you familiar with no, we the guy I'm this. talking about? No. Did you see? Did you see the tweet I'm talking about? I did not, know. Eddie, are you familiar with which one I'm talking about? I'm going to show it to you, and I want you to tell me who it is. Um, I'm, I'm scrolling through now, trying to find their riveting the, the tweet, radio, the tweet that was sent out. I know, but which of the you, you have the rosters of the All Star, the Celebrity All Star Game? Which one of those is a YouTube performer? Because well, they, they have multiple social media influencers. I think is what they're technically called now. Okay, so so which ones are they? Because I'm looking at, you know, I don't know who who some of the folks are. So if you look at the roster of names, can you tell me which ones are the YouTube performers? Are you Googling the names? I don't have it in front okay. of me, so I'm relying on Eddie here. I'd... By the way, whatever you do, don't press show more when trying to find out who this guy is on Twitter because I got hit with a bunch of bunch of spam accounts. Or, so, uh, so you so you saw the video? I, I just found about. it, yes. Okay, yeah. do no, you know, I, no do you know who that is. The, No clue. Right, like no. who is it? No, no idea. And I see several, literally every reply is people saying, who, who is this? And they ne- I don't think they ever answered. That was the only thing. Oh, I, that's, I don't dis- that's Tristan Joss. Oh, of course. Tristan <laughs> Joss. Okay, now, or, Eddie, what, what can you tell me about Tristan Joss? Who I, I'm assuming, yes, Tristan Joss is on Team Stephen A. Um, he's a guy who... He is, does trick shots, right? Correct. Trick okay. shots, and he's competed in these All-Star games before. Um. And he does a YouTube page that is nothing but him hitting trick basketball shots, right? I believe so. So I would think that, that he will be unbelievable in this thing, right? Are they just going to have him hitting shots from... I don't know. Like, people let me know. And I realize, I get it. I mean, I'm the first to admit, it's just it's not necessarily my wheelhouse. I, I know he has 
huge a huge following uh, and, yeah, and kudos 2. to them 4 million on Instagram, yeah i mean so right so like kudos cap. to them for getting them out there i mean i get it five like million subscribers on youtube yeah that's a huge that is huge eyeballs that you don't get because look at it this way if he's got right there we're talking eight million right between those two platforms yep so how many of those are uniques at maximum five and a half million, right? Because some of those are crossover, right? Some it's the sure, same yeah, person. I get what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. So so let's just say for the sake of argument, we'll say six million. Okay. So if he sends a video out to six million people, and of those six million, let's say fifty percent are asleep. There's three million. Okay. Of that three million, let's say thirty percent are at work. Okay. So now all of a sudden you've lost so now you're down to two point one million. Even at that, you send something out and it's seen by 2.1 million people. I get it. I mean, that's the that's that's the television viewership of an average IndyCar race. Man. Right? Yeah. So I get it. I get why you're out there. I just, there, there are a lot of people like that. Are you guys familiar with The Beast? Yes, I am familiar with The Beast. Do you know how many YouTube subscribers insane, he has? Insane amount. Take a guess. 12 million. Eddie, you want to guess? I'm sure I'm off Don't by look. about 15 million. Okay. You're talking about Mr. Beast, right? Yeah, Mr. Beast. He's probably got like 1 billion now. I think he's way up there. 239 million. Jeez. 239 million subscribers. Hey, the guy's worth $500 million. Lives in North Carolina just by making YouTube videos. Like, hallelujah, right? Different era. I get it. Got to tap into it. Uh, Tamika Catchings is involved this weekend as well, right, Eddie? That is correct. She is coaching one of the celebrity... Or not celebrity, uh, the Rising Stars teams. I feel feel like it's the Paolo Bancaro team. I could be wrong there. Oh, uh, better known is the, um, <laughs> who was it that, Patrick Mahomes team, right? Yes. Pat yes, Mahomes? because they thought it was Pat Mahomes. Yeah. That was, was that an F1 Martin event? Bernal, or was yeah, that Indy? Formula One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, <laughs> and he's like, I'm Paolo Bancaro, because whatever. <laughs> Tamika Catchings is next. Now, here are the coaches in the Rising Stars game, and I think there's a ringer in this. Team Powell, that would be Pau Gasol, I assume, right? Team Jalen, Team Detlef, Detlef Shrimp, and Tamika Catchings. Now, Tamika Catchings, I think, has stacked the deck here because on her roster, she has, like, I think Scoot Henderson's really good. I think Jaden Ivey's really good. But but I believe the only Rising Stars player that is also in the All-Star game is... Paolo Banquero, who is really good, and Tamika has him. So I think she stacked the deck. She joins us now to talk about it. Uh, Tamika, you have the only NBA All-Star, I believe, in the Rising Stars game, correct? Uh, yes. So did you stack the deck? How did you – How did you? this is impressive. Well, and it's funny because I, I, I did my draft board. I went through the whole process with my draft board. I studied players and, and all of that, and – even kind of went through how I wanted to draft, like, my draft order. And honestly, like, Jalen and Pop started going off, like, off what I thought the draft would, would look like. But I'm really excited about my players. I think, um, you know, obviously, uh, Jaden Ivey being able to have him and, you know, just what he means to me. Paolo, you know, Boncaro, like, he's been amazing um it's gonna be fun so i'm excited about it. my first coaching career my first coaching debut so hopefully you guys won't you'll be nicer than you are on some other coaches <laughs> now now wait a minute now what coaches are we hard on come on now i'm just saying it's my first time 
and I just get my feet wet. So maybe I like it and you never know. I, I keep getting the, the question about whether or not I want to coach. So we'll see how it goes and, and move on from there, right? You know, I have said on a thousand occasions, Tamika, that I believe Tamika Catchings is the best within their sport of any player to professionally play in Indianapolis. So you have, based on that, a bit of a, le- a curve already. Like like you get a pass if this doesn't I go well. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. I will take it. Thank you. I will take that. Yeah, I'm I'm here for it, right? I mean, I, we've known each other a long time. I have to be nice, right? Um, <laughs> you don't hey, have to. <laughs> what's that? I said you don't have to. <laughs> That's right. You want to. <laughs> hey, for you personally, Tamika, and we'll get more into the game in a second, but just overall, for Indianapolis to be able to showcase itself at this truly what is a global event with the All-Star Game coming here, and I know what basketball and what that arena and what the franchise mean to you. So what does this weekend mean for Tamika Catchings? I am honestly, like, I'm so excited. Uh, we have been at this. Like I've been a co-chair on this committee since 2017, which is a long time to be planning for an NBA All-Star game. But what I am most proud of about this weekend is all of the people that have come together to make the next four or five days, what they are about to be. And you know, one of the things when we were going into it, it's like if we wanted to be an experience that everybody in Indianapolis could be a part of in the state of Indiana, you know, just the engagement we've given out over a million dollars in grants and um, for different community projects around the state of Indiana. Like we have done a lot of things that are not just about these next five days, but it's all about legacy, which, you know, for me, my heart is community. My heart is seeing our youth and being able to give them opportunities and all of the projects that we supported. Now let's get to the game and all of the, the activities that will be going on this weekend. We are bringing not only just great players, but celebrities and people that have never seen our city and a lot of people that have talked about Indiana and Indianapolis just in, in maybe not so nice ways. But I think being able to pull it all together with all of the activation at downtown, I mean, yes, you could go to the ticket event, but I also feel like all of the other activations that's going to be going on on Georgia Street, on Washington Street, in the mall, in and around downtown Indianapolis is going to be extraordinary. So I'm just, I'm really proud of what we've been able to put together. I'm proud of the group that has come together. I'm thankful for the signings and their vision and, you know, Rick Fusion, this is going to be his last time with us and being able to come in in 85 and start the whole, the first NBA All-Star game in Indiana and now go out with the bang with the last NBA All-Star under his belt. I mean, there's just so many great moments that come into this that I'm really excited about. Indiana Fever legend Tamika Catching is our guest. Tamika, you mentioned Rick Fuse in there, and that being it, his last All-Star game and his last go-around with big events surrounding the Pacers. You yourself as a member of the host committee for All-Star, you highlighted that like a lot of people that were really excited for the event itself, it gets postponed because of COVID. And of course, a lot of real-world trauma was happening during the pandemic. But the idea to have an escape for the All-Star game and get it pushed back a couple of years. We talked with Rick. He highlighted it was actually a blessing in a lot of ways because you got the renovations to Gamebridge and Bicentennial Plaza. From your standpoint as part of that committee, what did it allow you guys to do and envision for this thing having to kick it down the kick the can down the curb a couple of years? Yeah, I mean, you hit it all on the nail. Like the renovation, Bicentennial Plaza, 
um, Hyatt Place right across the street, like third renovation, downtown Indianapolis as a whole, and the growth and the thing, you know, Taylor Schaefer, when she moved over to take care of downtown Indy, like there's just a lot of things in the last couple of years that have come into fruition. And let's not forget gang gang, because I think during the pandemic, gang gang really stepped up. Molly and Alan Bacon have done a phenomenal job with just the art scene and how do you engage the art scene into all of the things. So, I mean, last night I was driving around, my parents in town, uh, my, my dad and my stepmom and my little brother came in for the, all the all-star activities. My, my big brother will be here. My mom and my sister live here in Indianapolis. My, my nephews and cousins. And I got all types of people that are coming in town for this, but to drive downtown and see the activation and see the big balls that have been painted all around the city, um, knowing that there's going to be a lot of small businesses that are going to have the opportunity to do some pop-up, I mean, from the art scene to the fashion scene to the basketball scene to the tech scene, whatever you are interested in, there is literally something for everybody. And with that, Tamika, you know, you had mentioned, you know, having – like say younger family members, you know, kids that are going to be coming down or or people that live in Indianapolis that want to come downtown crossover. My understanding is, which is kind of like the fan zone at the convention center would be probably the ideal place for people. If they're as a family to come down and be able to experience, is that a fair statement? Definitely. NBA crossover is your glorified fan jam. And we are going to have one of the biggest ones that the NBA has ever had What that entails is a lot of just fun activity. It's very family friendly. So, you know, young people, old people, all in between. It's a place that you can come. Last year, we got an opportunity to go when it was in Utah. And it was just a lot of fun. There's photos, you know, selfie stations in there. There's basketball. Of course, there's a lot of basketball, right? We're here for the NBA All-Star game. So a lot of basketball opportunities. And then celebrities are coming in. They have a lot of great panels and different players and um, coaches that come and speak. And all of this, like when you get in there, you have access to all of this. And it's it's going to, it starts, I think, today, tomorrow, or tonight it will kick off, or officially start tomorrow, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, pretty much all day. So if you get a chance, get your ticket, come on out. It's going to be huge. It's at the Indiana Convention Center. It's definitely for your kids, come out. Let them experience it because it'll be a lot of fun. Tamika Catchings, our guest. Again, Rising Stars game is going to be at 9 o'clock tomorrow night. You can see it on TNT. She will be coaching Team Tamika, one of the four teams that is going to be in the Rising Stars game. Tamika, and I know that this is obviously more of a fun showcase event, right? I get it. But I'm curious of this. From your time after playing and moving into like when you were in administration and scouting players and other things like that, you were a great player. You were an unmatched competitor. Was it a challenge for you or is it still a challenge for you to see players that you automatically assume would have the same immediate competitive drive or immediate like intuition about playing that you did and having to realize that not everybody is driven and wired the same way. Oh yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a challenge. But um, you know, especially when you go into a game like this and this weekend and even thinking about you know previous years of the all star game and all of the other activation that's around it, like some sometimes it it can become a show. And, you know, people like show but they also like want to come and watch these games and want to see a game. 
And so I think really what our model and what are, one of the things the NBA is really focusing on for the game here in Indianapolis is getting back to the basics, which entails let's play basketball. Let's play the right way. Let's, you know, yes, we can give them a show, but within the framework of the way the game is supposed to be played. And so I know even with my, uh, with my players in the Panini Rising Stars game, I want them, I want to win. You know, I want to go out, I want to have fun, but, you know, my mentality is totally shifts. When the ball goes up in the air, it's like, okay, yeah, I want you to have fun after the game and before the game. But during the game, I need you to come in locked in. Uh, we got some great players. I think it's really important, you know, rising stars. So you got the rookies and the sophomores that are in the NBA. We have a great group of rookies and, and sophomores along with the G League team, the G League players that will be participating. So this is a chance for them to showcase their talent. Some of the G League players trying to get up into the NBA, some of the you know younger players in the NBA trying to get minutes, trying to get that opportunity to be seen. And let's face it, longevity of being able to do something that you love. And I think anytime you go out and you get the opportunity to play, you need to play the game the right way. Which potential opportunity more excites you a year from now, seeing your nephew play for Purdue or seeing Caitlin Clark play for the Fever? Oh, I mean, I'm going family first, but – can I put like a 1A is Cannon at Purdue? My 1B is Caitlin Clark for the Fever. I mean, I, that's all. You can't come. You can't. You can't even make that comparison. Come on, Jeff. <laughs> now, but let me ask you. And I realize Caitlin Clark has the opportunity to return to Iowa. So I mean, we don't know for certain, but the Fever do have the number one pick. Tamika, my my observation is that if she does become a member of the Fever, that it could be a seismic change for the franchise and just really for the city itself. I mean, just the the energy that comes with that. Is that a fair statement? Yes. Oh, yeah. You know, Caitlin Clark right now, I mean, I was looking at it. She's got a chance today to, to take the record for the all-time uh, leading scorer in NCAA women's history, passing up Kelsey Plum. And men's. Um, of course, yeah, and men's. Yeah, so passing up Kelsey Plum, but also, like, think about Kelsey Mitchell who's been on the fever, like she was somebody that led, you know, in scoring. But I think what comes around her, you know, like the last couple of years, and it's crazy. I remember I did, I commentated her game when she was a freshman and people were talking about her as a freshman. And I did her game and I'm like, man, she's hitting some unbelievable shots. To watch her excel every single year to the point where she's at now, you know, I think it's been, it's been a lot of fun to watch. Obviously, there's a lot of hype around it. And, you know, honestly, I want her to pass the record. I want her to get it. But then everything hopefully will, like, level out for her as far as all the media and the hype. Then after that, it's like, okay, you got the record. Now every single point you add to it is in addition to. But now let's get her to the fever. You know, she comes out. I'm, I'm not even talking like she's going back to Iowa. I'm just saying she comes out. She gets to Indiana, and I think just the, the, where we are, like obviously we're close to Iowa, so those fans come down, Indiana fans. You know, Grace Berger obviously is still from Indiana, so IU fans coming over. And I think just a lot of people, women's basketball over the last, the course since really 2001, when Arika Agumbawale hit that shot, like since then, from NCAA to WNBA back to NCAA, I feel like our game continues to thrive. Asia Wilson's going to be in Indianapolis, obviously uh, Sabrina Unescu this weekend, Pacific. But I think just the drive for women's basketball and what we're what we're building off of, Caitlin would definitely add to the mix. I think the thing to me, Tamika, that's so intriguing about Caitlin Clark is 
she's a high volume scorer, but not necessarily a high volume shooter. In other words, it's not Pete Maravich. I mean, she's she's scoring these points with at least from what I've seen within the design scheme of the offense. It's not like she's putting up forty five shots a game. She's doing it while playing well with others, which is why when you add in Aaliyah Boston and the other pieces around her, it's hard not to immediately get your mind racing. Well, immediately get your mind racing, but also let's let's really like face it. A, we've never had the number one pick until we got Aaliyah Boston. Aaliyah Boston, as great as she is, you never win a championship with one great player. Like, you look at the team that have, well, I take that back. There are some. But you always need your supporting, you know, you need the support. Where we've kind of struggled over the years is shooting and having outside shooters. So I think the offense that Iowa runs allows Caitlin to be that. I mean, she's the point guard, so she distributes the ball and gets the, but the ball always finds her within the flow of the offense. If you're watching this game, yeah, there's here and there every once in a while, you'll see her come down and without pass and take a shot. But normally it's like pass, pass, pass. Somebody drives in, kick out, and she takes the shot. So I think the way we play here in Indiana and people have to focus on our inside game with Aaliyah Boston, then they're going to have to focus. I mean, we still have great players on the outside. Let's not forget, like, Kelsey Mitchell is definitely one of those players that, you know, we've been building off of over the course of the last couple of years. Now you add in all these other pieces, and I think that it just makes for a great opportunity for us to get back to winning the championship. She has known, likely, Jaden Ivey since he was in diapers. Your chance tomorrow night, perhaps if he screws up a play, to see Tamika Catchings make him cry when she calls him to the sidelines Uh, and gets in his face, right? Rising Stars tomorrow (laughs) night, 9 o'clock. Tamika, going to be a lot of fun, and certainly with everything going on this weekend, you are a huge, huge part of why Indianapolis is able to host such events. So we appreciate your efforts in that and for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it, as always. Tamika Catchings, one of the true ambassadors for the city of Indianapolis. I'm telling you, looking over this roster, Dyson Daniels, like I'm a fan of Dyson Daniels. Um, Jaden Ivey, Scoot Henderson she's got, who's a good player, Keegan Murray. Uh, Now she drafted... There was one player, I think it's, is it Daniels that's hurt? Somebody was hurt and and can't play. Dyson Daniels is hurt. Yeah, so Vince Williams fills in for him, right? Um, But she did a nice job drafting here. You know who's actually pretty good on Team POW? Jabari Smith Jr., who was, you know, many people thought was going to be the number one player picked, and then people were surprised when Pella Bancaro was. But it took him a while, but he's starting to come into his own in Houston. Uh, He's got some pretty good skill. And then Victor Webb will be playing in that game, obviously that in itself is worth the price of admission. A reunion with his French teammate in Bilal Koulibaly. That'll be fun, too. Jaime Hawkins Jr. out of Miami, or with the Miami Heat, but out of UCLA. He's a force in college basketball the last couple years. A lot of good rosters for the Rising Stars. You got uh, all kinds of wagers to put on all of it that you can fill us in on next? Uh, Not for that event, (laughs) but uh, that's not till tomorrow. You can do some scooping next? Uh, Maybe. We'll see. All right, we'll do it on the other side. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a athlete. This is my way. This is how I win. Today's Plays of the Day, a little mix of the NBA and college basketball. We will lay the 16 and a half. I think it's a big performance tonight from the Purdue Boilermakers as they welcome in Minnesota to Mackey. In that same game, I'll take Zach Eady over 23 and a half total points. NBA action last slate of NBA games before All-Star festivities begin. We'll take the Golden State Warriors on the money line on the road against the Utah Jazz. Any Eddie? Any bets for you? That's a bold pick with Golden State, I'll tell you that. They blew late late, late last night to LAC. 
That'd be the Clippers, by the way. Mm-hmm. And uh, Clay Thompson won't play tonight, by the way. So okay, to clarify both those, I asked for your pick. Do you have a pick today? No. Okay. I was thank just you. saying both. Now, now here's my question: Is there a conflict of interest if you are wagering in the celebrity game and therefore you are taking lays in the Ruffles game? Is that a conflict of interest? Or how does <laughs> I that think work? it would be. Yeah, it's a severe infraction. That now, needs there's to no be college games that wet your whistle here in terms of your degenerate gambling. I took. I'm sorry. Uh, what? Purdue. I laid sixteen and a half. I don't know what you're. What do you mean? That that seems like a layup, doesn't it? Although the last time I said that. Phew, Michigan. <laughs> I'm just going to pick a random game here in college, okay? All right. Tonight's schedule in college basketball. Oh, wow. It's a full slate. We got all kinds of games going on. By the way, did you see IEPOI lost to Detroit Mercy, giving Detroit Mercy their first win of the season last night? Did they really? And they lost by like 20. Mike Davis, get it done, right? Yikes. Did they really? Yeah. I mean, I know IEPY has struggled, but... Tough for the Jags. That's rough. Are you picking a particular region of the country for yeah, your bet I'm gonna today? Yeah, I'm go going to go with UT west? Rio Grande Valley over Abilene Christian. Let's go with this. What what game tonight has the lowest ticket price on the resale market in college basketball? There are a couple of games where tickets are as low as $2. UTEP and Western Kentucky. Hey, that game wouldn't be terrible. Christian Lander playing in that game. That's that's right. Christian Lander, lottery pick coming out of Evansville Rights. Good Lord, Indiana got him. Let's do backflips and smoke cigars. They got a five-star player. Who'd you say you were taking tonight? Now, hold on. I'm looking for other games with $2 prices. Well, I went and hunted the line for you. Georgia State and James Madison is also a $2 ticket. Isn't that Ron, is Ron Hunter still at – oh, no, he's at Tulane now. Uh, okay. UTEP and Western Kentucky. I'm all over UTEP in this game. What's the line in that game, Jimmy? Uh, let me see if the internet will cooperate enough for me to load that. I'm all in. Western Kentucky is 17-7. and seven. UTEP is getting six. They're six point. Yeah, nine. scoop, man. You're scoop all six. day. All right, there it is. Christian Lander, by the way. Is he still there? Yes, Christian Lander at Western Kentucky. Remember the, the I mean, just the savior at point guard for Indiana. Nothing against him as a player. I'm sure he's a or as a guy. I'm sure he's a nice kid. He's averaging ten minutes per. No, wait a minute. He's averaging twenty six minutes a game. Okay, ten points and two assists per game for seventeen and seven Western Kentucky for former prognosticated NBA lottery pick and five star point guard Christian Lander, the Hilltoppers. You know what? That's a cool campus. Actually, have you been down? I have there? not been. No. Uh, my buddy Byron and I, on one of our road trips, came through Bowling Green. Couple years ago, and we're like, let's just go check out the Western Kentucky campus, and it was cool. I mean, I was like, wow, this it was. It's Bowling Green's kind of a neat little city. Like, in the the campus is, it's cool. I mean, I was, you know, we, I had a couple of classmates from high school that went there. Did you know anybody that went there? Nobody that I still am in touch with. Maybe I think it might two. be one of the fourteen schools Chris Hagen went to, but maybe <laughs> I'm just thinking that because he worked in Bowling Green at one point. You know, you hang out, go to class, go over, hang out at the Corvette Museum, get a hot dog, come back. I liked it better when we were picturing ourselves at like Cal State Fullerton or somewhere like that up on the West Coast yeah. when you were making these picks. I'm telling you, don't I owe you guys some Long Beach State gear? I feel like you when do. When I go out to Long Beach? Yep. The the other thing about Western Kentucky, great mascot. Great mascot. The red blob? Yes, that's right. It's beautiful. He's he's he might be the best one in, in college sports, right? He's up there. 
Uh, full day tomorrow. Again, I want to rehash. I know that I've said it a couple of times, but tomorrow at 1 o'clock, really looking forward to playing for you our interview with Jermaine O'Neal. Um, I covered Jermaine O'Neal the entire time that he was here, essentially, and was always a very thoughtful and intelligent young man when he was here, but on top of that now, I think just kind of introspective. He was very... I mean, at one point during the interview, I thought to myself, like, is this what Dr. Phil feels like at work? Because, and I appreciate it, but Jermaine O'Neal, Jimmy, would you agree, was just very candid, very open and very honest. He was as clear and upfront with us as he would have been if we would have known him for the last 30 years. Yeah, totally. And that's right? a, a can't-miss conversation tomorrow if you're Pacers fans, if you're part of the company, whatever it is, Jermaine O'Neal tomorrow around 1 o'clock. And he had mentioned after the fact, I think I told you, he just said, hey, thank you for that because that was my truth. So I think he just saw the opportunity to kind of just open up and let things out, and that's exactly what he did. Uh, JMV is at Brothers Downtown. Is that right, James? He is at Brothers Downtown. Your chance to Diet Coke is fine. Go by, have a salad, have a cold beer. Listen to his program because John is up next. We will be back with you at noon tomorrow. And we thank you for listening to Quarry and Company here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.